Welcome to the RAB Poetry Podcast, where we bring you the stories behind the words, where every poem has a story behind it. Our podcast is a journey through the hearts and minds of poets as we delve into the inspirations, struggles, and triumphs that fuel their work. In each episode, we'll feature a poem, sharing the underlying stories and reciting the most powerful and moving pieces. From various poems on wide variety of topics and rising poets and authors, our podcast is the perfect companion for anyone who loves poetry and the power of words. Whether you're a seasoned poetry enthusiast or just getting started, you'll find something to love on the RAB Poetry Podcast. So tune in and let the stories of our poets take you on a journey of inspiration and emotion. Listen to the REB Poetry Podcast, available on all major platforms now. Why, hello there, everyone, and uh, welcome back to the uh, Phantom Power Sunday Night live stream. It is our little review series here that we like to call Fandor. My name, of course, is uh, Wes R. Scott. I am your host. This week, we are flying the missing man formation. We do not have the complete. We are, we are sans one. Hank is caught up in life. Um, we have left the studio wide open. He can bounce in here at any time. Maybe, maybe not. We shall see. We shall see. Um, guys, uh, starting to sound like old hat here. Whether this is your first time with us or if you've been with us for the long haul, I want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts for choosing us as your source of entertainment because that is what we like to do here. Not only is it entertaining you guys, it's uh, kind of uh, self self-satisfying in that uh i love the process of going through this week after week when we have a, a meaty series like Andor to uh to dig in on and find all those little details um that maybe you're not seeing because you know they put them there <laughs> and somewhere in a studio somewhere down there in disneyland of course somebody's like oh god i hope someone finds this absolutely i hit it in that scene maybe it made it in yeah 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 yeah. whether you're here with us on the live stream or you're catching us in the replay whether it's on youtube or any of the uh, audio places where uh, your audio podcasts can be found we love 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 your comments so please keep those coming as i've said before those comments can and have influenced the direction of the show and if you want to have more influence on our show, consider becoming a patron at the Phantom Power Podcast on Patreon, where we have a couple of levels that you can choose from. Any support is uh, always welcome. Now, about Andor, and well, really, it's all of our review series. Really, if you want to, yeah. if you want to talk about it, um, our beat down or our beat downs. <laughs> whoa, that's a whole other show. Um, our our breakdowns they are beat for beat and they are note for note we cover all of the plot points all of the easter eggs and of course any greater star wars lore connections that we discover throughout the course of the show so if you think that by sunday night the show has been out for uh what four days four or five days yeah that you've seen it all and you've heard it all I do encourage you to stick around uh, for the long haul because we tend to do things just a little bit different than those other guys. And I think you'll be surprised 
at what comes out in the course of, of our episode. Things that you probably, well, maybe not probably, things that you may have missed. Um, we do like to go on those tangents of certain point of view, mm. um, which I am going to uh, uh, reference a few times tonight. <laughs> All right, so with that out of the way, last week, if you were uh, with us, we started a new segment that we uh, are going to try and keep running with. And of course, that segment is Bad Star Wars Jokes. This week's uh, Bad Star Wars Joke uh, comes from uh, Andy. Yeah. You got one for us. I got one for you. All right, let's have it. Did you know that the Lego Alderaan set is the only one to come fully assembled? <laughs> oh boy <laughs> too soon i like that one that's almost as good as the uh the 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 uh was a meme of uh owen and Baru lars uh, their action figures and it was a skeleton in a <laughs> on a blister card <laughs> i like that one that was good now, do you guys have any bad Star Wars jokes out there that you want to share with us? Please do send them to us. Um, I, you can drop them in the comments. If you do, I'm not going to display those comments because I want to hold your joke for uh, future installments. You can email them to us at uh, fandompower3. That's fandompower3 at gmail.com. Or you can send them to us uh, through any of our social media channels. But again, this has been Bad Star Wars Jokes. And uh, we'll be back with more of those. Um, with all of that out of the way, let's talk about um, this week's episode. This week's episode, Narkina 5. Um, Andy, initial impressions. What do you think? It was good. Another fast-paced one. Uh, it did not feel as long as it was. And it moves things forward, but it, it leaves me with questions. Um, I have some questions as well. I also have some observations. Um this week's title did not leave a whole lot to the imagination for themes yeah. for uh, thematic uh, sort of overtones. However, I did pick up on some themes this week, or at least some recurrent ideas. And that line, that legacy line that uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi speaks uh, from a certain point of view, mm -hmm. there are a couple of instances throughout the episode, which I'll, I'll talk about them when they come up where people's perceptions have been altered in in interesting ways where remember the, the telephone game in school sort of yeah so i tell you the the red fox jumped over the and it ends up black monkey dishwasher exactly okay, yeah, so yeah. there's a couple instances like that uh, that happened in the episode a couple times and i'm not sure if that's just the the individual that's speaking if they're just blowing things up or that's just the natural evolution of how when information goes around uh, especially stories right mm. the story just gets bigger and more like oh my god suddenly you go from stubbing your toe to having your leg amputated right that that kind of thing and we see that we do see that all right let's get things rocking up here um okay uh this week it is uh, oh by the way andy freaking circus um yeah, master of motion capture hard not to other things you, you can't really keep that one under wraps that's kind of the way it is um and also um, if you ever wanted to know how to build a cheap labor force, <laughs> well, this, this goes back to that line, maybe two episodes ago yeah, where they're talking about, you know, if the, the Aldani people don't play ball, you know, we got work for them to do. Well, there's absolutely that. <clears throat> All right. This one, it's called uh, Narkina five. It uh, aired on Disney plus Wednesday, October 26th. 
This one is uh, written by uh, Bo Willimon and uh, directed by Toby Haynes. Uh, Toby Haynes back again. He ha- he has uh, directed before, but w- this is the first time we've seen him since. Uh, oh my gosh, episode I didn't write it down. I can't remember the last episode that he directed. Was it uh, may have been. I'll have to double check that. I think it was three. Uh, the advertised runtime for this episode was 57 minutes. Um, so that is like up there with the, some of the highest runtimes. Um, it is a, a more modest uh, 46 minutes and 30 seconds without your titles and credits. All right, here. Um, Bo Willeman, we haven't seen him yet, uh, but he is the guy who uh, helped develop uh, the American version of uh, House of Cards. He served as the show, uh, so the show's a showrunner for the first four seasons, uh, of which he has written uh, 23 episodes. So, again, another political drama guy. Uh, right here, uh, in, here yeah. into uh, Andor, and I think it's a I think it's a great fit to be honest. It really is. All right, so our episode opens uh, with a lineup of prisoners uh, that have been wedged into a narrow hallway. Cassian stands among them in single file while uh, shore troopers order the lineup to keep moving up a staircase. Now, at the top of the stairs, Cassian emerges into uh, an amphitheater where we see three transport ships uh, sitting atop the bleachers. It's like a little distribution hub for prisoners. You think so? Uh, at one time, I can't help but think that this is a repurposed, like it's an amphitheater. I bet you yeah. it was an amphitheater at one point. And yeah. now, like I can't help but think that this is the back of the, the back entrance of the courtroom. Maybe. Like yeah. the courtroom was just sort of set up in the basement or something. Yeah. 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 Or in the dressing room for whatever well, yeah. armor would have been coming out normally. Yeah. Well, more shore troopers uh, bark at the prisoners, asking them for their home worlds. Uh, the man standing in front of Cassie and a gentleman by the name of uh, Tuck Ibex tells the trooper that he's from a world called uh, Galdi. And the trooper points towards the ship on the right, uh, on the right side of the amphitheater, indicating that uh, he's now on his way to somewhere called a Bell Savis. Bell Savis. And then it's Cassian's turn uh, as he tells the trooper that he's uh, from somewhere named uh, Daris Plata. Now, this is a brand new name making its first appearance here. It has no other uh, Star Wars references. And the trooper points to the central uh, transport ship and says, uh, Narkina 5. That's also a new name making its first appearance here. Well, Cassian never heard of that, says, "What? what's that? And then the trooper orders him onto the transport Cassian still protesting that I'm just a tourist, <laughs> but another shore trooper basically shoves him up the stairs. Uh, then another uh, prisoner steps up for processing, indicating that he's from uh, Girmos. Uh, lots of new names this week. Mm-hmm. And uh, the trooper directs him onto the ship that is headed for Bell Savis. Okay, uh, Bell Savis. Now, uh, predominantly an ice world uh, located somewhere in what is referred to as the distant outer rim once serving as a prison world for the rocketan empire hmm. and that's not the first time we've uh, heard about the rocketans uh, coming up in this uh, series we talked about that with cassian uh, sorry with luthan um and the, the kyber mm-hmm. yes uh so uh there there are some isolated temperate regions uh due to uh isolated volcanic activity um and it's not near uh, on the map when you look at it it's not near any world that i've ever heard of before 
Now, it, it is a, um, a Legends-era planet. First uh, popped up in the 1995 novel uh, Children of the Jedi. Now, we've talked about that novel as well, so that's not the first time that this has come up over the course of the series. Hmm. However, this is an interesting one. The, the word Belsavis was also a cheat code in the Revenge of the Sith video game back in 2005. Uh, the Belsavis cheat code actually gave you uh, all Jedi moves and force powers. Now, if you never played that one, it played uh, kind of like the old PS1 game called uh, Jedi Power Battles. Um, I really enjoyed it. So, yes, the Revenge of the Sith video game, if you haven't played that, Belsavis, all powers and, uh, and what is it? All powers and uh moves there we go well on coruscant cyril karn toils away at his uh, workstation pouring over endless pages of data at the sound of a mouse droid quite possibly the same mouse droid that he nearly tripped on before maybe cyril looks up from his work uh, to see flob flob who's now escorting uh, two imperial isb agents one of them happens to be uh Yert, dedra's uh, attendant uh, they stop in front of his uh, workstation. Now, on uh, Nia, back on Niamos, uh, after everybody's been loaded up onto the uh, transports, uh, the Imperial officer or the Imperial corrections guy, I don't know what to call him, uh, correctional dude, I guess. Bust Guard. <laughs> Guard. Uh, he orders the men to remove their footwear. And as soon as they do, the, their wrist restraints, their, their binders, um, they actually separate and get magnetically locked to the, uh, the seat uh, rails beside them. Efficient. Uh, very much so. Now, the prisoners, they kind of look nervously around at each other while Cassian closes his eyes as the ship begins to uh, shudder and lift off. Meanwhile, at the uh, central office of the uh, Imperial Security Bureau, Cyril Karn uh, now sits alone in a stark white interrogation room. His foot twitches nervously, and then the door opens and Dedra Miro enters, announcing herself as the sector supervisor for the Merlana sector. Cyril asks, what happened to Blevin? But uh, Dedra cuts him off. I'll be asking the questions here. Not wasting any time diving. No, no, no. Adedra tells him that now she's been reviewing the incident of Ferrex and she had intended to bring him in to fill in some of the gaps. Um, but her whole sort of time frame for that just got stepped up because it turns out that uh, old Cyril here has been submitting multiple requests to the Bureau of Standards uh, data center looking for a man named Cassian Andor. And because of that, their meeting is happening right now. <laughs> so basically, he's doing the same thing she did. Well, as he said, uh, he has, you know, a, a limited resources at his disposal. Uh, Dedra recounts uh, or accounts how on three separate occasions that uh, Cyril has claimed uh, Cassian to be a missing fuel specialist, an unresponsive energy engineer, and a, few, a fuel purity field officer suspected of forging Imperial reports, adding that in less than one month, Cyril has uh, filed five false inquiries, uh, including uh, the one this morning, to which uh, Cyril says, actually, it's uh, six. <laughs> <laughs> Pointedly, she says, uh, what are you doing? And then uh, looking up at her, Cyril uh, calls Cassian a murderer, and a threat to the empire 
and uh, he's been trying to find him with the limited tools that he has available to him. Well, Dedra steps a bit closer to Cyril's seat, and she tells him that he has now earned the attention of the ISB, and she offers him a chance to tell her what exactly it is that he's up to. Well, without looking at her, he says that uh, he's trying to clear his name. And uh, when Dedra suggests that uh, one would think that you would want to leave Ferex behind, he looks up at her and he says, one would be wrong. Uh, a bold statement, I believe, um, in my opinion, anyway, mm-hmm. given where he's at in the room, uh, in that chair, you want to be careful uh, how much flexing you, you do here. Yeah, he's making himself clear, though. Uh, that wants, is true. He wants that is his true. position back. He does. Well, I think it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, he wants that, um, as he says, he wants to clear his his name and and get his record cleared out. Well, Dedra remarks that uh, she has a busy day ahead of her and asks, uh, what's in uh, Lieutenant Blevins' report that she's missing? And she's actually quite surprised to hear Cyril tell her that uh, even though he signed it, he wasn't allowed to actually read it. Well, thoughtfully, she looks at him for a bit, uh, and then she storms out of the interrogation room without saying a word. Of course, uh, outside the the room, um, there's two way mirrors in the room, so Hirt and the other um, attendant have been watching, and uh, she basically says, um, you know, let him read the report and hands off her uh, data pad, uh, noting that she should be upstairs by now because, uh, as we're about to find out, there's a, another meeting uh, about to happen. Well, somewhere off in space, uh, an Imperial transport carrying a load of prisoners, including one Cassian Andor, approach a small moon orbiting a gas giant, and that moon is identified as Narkina 5. The ship descends through the atmosphere, and uh, Cassian cranes his neck uh, to get a look outside uh, the window louvers. As the ship banks, now he can see that there are a series of of large heptagonal structures, seven-sided structures. Man, that's going to come back many times. Uh, Heptagonal structures rising about 30 meters uh, above a large body of water. At each corner of the structure, there is a water inlet that swirls rapidly down an unseen spout, while on the upper edge of uh, one of the flat sides, a door slides open and the transport ship slips inside. The, the structure didn't catch me, uh, you know, uh, as remarkable as the water inlets. And I had some questions about that. I got to know, what do you guys think? Do you think that this is, I'm going with that the whole facility is hydroelectrically powered and that these are the inlets for the, the turbines. Hmm. Andy, you had a different thought. I did. Uh, based on like, you know, Alcatraz and how they put it out there and the water is really deadly. Yeah. A bunch of whirlpools, if you were to jump off there, do not increase your chances of escape. That is also true. So, side, side effect of, yeah, uh, like of maybe turbines. it's multi purpose. <laughs> maybe. The other one that I thought of was um, the water is being uh, shunted off as a means of cooling something. Maybe. Whether the, the you know, there's a massive heat source below, like whatever's powering. Maybe it's not hydro powered. Maybe it's, some other kind of power source. Maybe it's nuclear powered and the water is being used for cool. I don't know. My leading theory is hydroelectric power. I want to know what you guys have to think. Let us know in the comments. What do you think these water inlets are around these uh, factory structures on Narkina five? 
Well, our uh, prisoner transport is essentially uh, an unarmed uh, version or variation of the Imperial landing boat that we've seen before. We saw it in uh, both the Mandalorian and Kenobi. Um, it is definitely within the same uh, family of ships, minus the uh, the cannons on the front, um, but has that similar sort of uh, front ramp that drops down on the nose. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a nice little uh, a nice little nod. Well, back at the central office, Colonel Ularen presides over a meeting uh, of the sector supervisors. This is the second one he's been in attendance for. Mm-hmm. Sitting in front of him lays the uh, damaged Starpath unit recovered from Ferrix. Funny, it didn't look like that the last time we saw it. No. Apparently it didn't fare so well in the explosion. No, the building falling on it probably had something to do with that. <laughs> Maybe. So much for being a sealed unit. Yep. Um, it's not worth as much anymore. Dedra remarks how it was uh, stolen from the Steerguard Navy Yard a year ago. Now, Cassian doesn't say on the nose that he was the one to go and get it. He just has that argument with Bix about how she thinks he's been holding out on him. Yeah, and um, but he, literally. he tells Luthen, or at least he intimates to Luthen that he just walked in and got it. Yeah. Do we think he's been sitting on this for a year? Waiting for, uh, for the, right, the right time. The right deal to come around? Yeah, the right deal or an emergency. Interesting. A rainy day fund, if you will. Maybe. She says it was stolen a year ago, but she can't say exactly when, as the uh, ranking authorities at Steergard were too afraid to report it stolen and instead uh, chose to uh, attempt to hide it. Not that it worked. Uh, Colonel Ularen stares down at the data pad in front of him, presumably reading Dedra's report. He uh, bids her to continue uh, as he reads. And uh, Dedra activates a hollow image, and we see Cassian's old uh, mugshot. He's a couple years younger and, and uh, clean shaven. And she recounts how the uh, Starpath unit was stolen by him. And she also points out that uh, he is wanted for the murder of two corporate security officers, and that the Starpath unit was left behind as he uh, escaped arrest. Dedra goes on to say that Cassian was in the act of transferring the unit to someone that they have now labeled as Axis. Axis, because she believes that this person is central to an organized rebel effort to acquire specialized Imperial gear. While staring down at the pad, Colonel Ularen absently remarks that Dedra has quite a wish list as he reads it, uh, which includes a full comm net, a full garrison tech package, Series 9 Spectrum Surveillance and Local Agent Funding, as well as a Code Droid. Um, There's some interesting things happening here. So one is, um, remember the last episode that he was in? Yes. When they enacted those emergency measures, he was like, nobody in this room should have any trouble um, getting resources and now here he is like a bean counter uh he makes a uh makes a, a line here about it being uh expensive and of course she counters that but um what a contrast to what he said before it keeps everyone on their toes i guess so now series nine spectrum surveillance this is interesting i kind of uh, i look I, i'm always looking this stuff up um because one, I need to know, is there a Star Wars, an existing Star Wars reference to this stuff? Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. And if there isn't, is there a real world connection here? Well, yes, there is. And spectrum surveillance. 
um, in the real world refers to uh, monitoring of identif- uh, uh, real-time identification of illegal or unlicensed wireless communication signals. Huh. Yeah. So, I mean, that is going to come back uh, in a major way uh, later in this episode. Huh. Dedra informs the colonel that everything that she's asked for, it's all ready to go. And that if someone on Ferrix is talking, they need to be listening. She's not wrong. She is not wrong. In sharp contrast to his assurances that no one in the room would have trouble securing any army or navy assets, Colonel Ularn calls her request a large investment. And Dedra shoots back that the cost is a fraction of the cost of the lost and stolen technology. Are they factoring in the Eldani money too yet? Well, they're that's the other one too well that's caught the colonel's attention as he lifts his gaze from the pad that he's been reading from to ask her what is what do you want to do you want to drill down on ferrix and uh find the thief uh, and what comes next and dedra tells him plainly that it is to identify axis and she calls this the first best lead they've had to her benefit, Major Partigas interrupts to tell Colonel Ularen that Dedra has convinced him that the activities of the person that they've designated as Axis are widespread across the galaxy, and that even though they don't know who or where they are, what they do know about this person is troubling. Interesting uh, uh, take on Partigas here for him to get involved, mm-hmm. you know. To kind of go to bat for her. Do you think that he was? I think so. It comes superficially. It comes across that way. I think, but if she's on the right track, remember what I said on the last meeting where he was like, if she does good, he does good. That's right. So, So, I mean, is it, is it self-serving? I think it's a little a little B. I think so. Well, Dedra asserts that uh, Ferrix was Axis first mistake. um, And that drilling down is exactly what she wants to do to find the man named Cassian Andor and to start hunting for Axis. And that's what you do, right? Like, you go for the guy you know on the bottom, and then you go up the ladder. Absolutely. If you're looking at this image, no, they are not breakdancing. <laughs> <laughs> it does look painful, though. Um, I just, I, you know how many times I paused on this? Like, just to look at the expressions? And I gotta give props to uh, Diego Luna here for yep. uh, for pulling that off, for committing to the to the funk yeah. <laughs> as it were <laughs> uh, remember the uh was it the, the hours of zemo in the bar <laughs> yes i could see this being put to music and just yep. on a loop <laughs> on narkina 5 cassian and the other barefoot prisoners are ushered off the transport where they're met by three guards uh the guards are dressed in the same black uniforms as the uh, transport guard except these guys are wearing um what i would call uh, gray snowboard boots with uh, bright orange uh, soles. Mm-hmm. Um, good use of off-the-shelf um, snowboard boots. <laughs> um, and it's for very good reason that they wear them. The lead guard informs the men that they are presently standing inside a factory, and they have been identified as labor-worthy. The guard tells them that they will be transferred shortly to their work rooms where they will receive more instructions from their floor manager. But he pauses for a moment, essentially to send a clear message and taunt the prisoners that even though the guards are not armed, the floor of the entire facility is in fact electrified, 
a point that he makes by administering what he calls a level one shock. One of three, I think he puts it. Yep. Well, the prisoners all begin to convulse uh, as they fall to the floor, and uh, the guard presses the shock for several seconds before releasing uh, releasing it and saying that uh, this was uh, just a level one shock out of three. And then the other guards order the men back to their feet while the lead guard walks away. Well, back in his interrogation room, Cyril Karn reads uh, Lieutenant Blevins' report on Ferrix. When the door slides open and Dedra strides in, she asks him what's missing from the report. Cyril lists several details, including criminal negligence from his commanding officer, lack of imperial authority on Ferrix, and the fact that Cassian had what he calls an organized local cadre of accomplices, and that none of that is detailed in the report. But Dedra's not interested in that. Now, instead, she asks about the older man that was seen with Cassian fleeing the scene. And she asks what details about him are missing. And uh, Cyril tries to offer a better description, but the color of his cloak and boots is just not enough for Dedra. And she paces in front of the uh, two-way mirror with an annoyed look on her face as she kind of looks through the glass, sort of at, at Heert, who's watching. Mm. Well, Cyril, still trying to endear himself to Dedra, says that uh, he heard the man's voice and he would recognize it if he heard it again. But Dedra has heard enough. Dismissing him as nothing more than an annoyance, she tells him to stop filing requests for Cassian Andor. And if he complies with that, she will inform the Bureau of Standards that he was of service to the Empire today. Well, the camera shifts uh, to the antechamber that's behind the mirror as we see Dedra move towards the exit of the uh, interrogation room. And when the door slides open, Cyril, still seated in his chair, shouts out, I was a good deputy inspector. Dedra turns back and uh, Cyril actually uh, boldly gets up from the chair to face her. He admits that in the course of his duties that he was overambitious, um, but to his own credit, he did solve a double murder and found the killer in two days. He acted because the window of opportunity that he had to apprehend that murderer was rapidly closing. Stealing his jaw, Cyril lifts his chin and says, service to the Empire, you said it yourself. Rhetorically, he asks her, can one ever be too aggressive in preserving order? Having heard enough, Dedra wishes him luck and turns to leave for the second time. And for the second time, gives pause again as Cyril says it's clear to him that she needs Andor in order to find his accomplice. And it's also clear to Cyril that whatever it is she's chasing is more important than the death of two corporate security guards. Cyril professes that he's a valuable asset to her. Uh, but Dedra has actually had enough this time as she steps towards him and she offers a very clear warning. Should he raise the alarm one more time, it won't be her that he's talking to. And then she departs the interrogation room while Cyril stands there staring at one of the mirrors and sighs. <sighs> well, back on Narkina 5, Cassian, now dressed in a white prison uniform, is uh, escorted through a control station on the way to his work floor. His attention is drawn to a rack full of the gray and orange isolated boots. We're going to need them at some Sorry, point. Sorry, insulated boots. 
But a guard threatens him with what he calls a zap rod and orders him to put his hands on his head, a movement that they commonly refer to as on program. Um, interesting little thing here, right from the get go that Cassian immediately picks up on the boot thing. Yeah. Uh, and then they make a point like it's, they literally have him like crane, like, huh? as he's staring at the boots and you can't help but think that these boots are definitely going to play into whatever at some point they will. Yeah. 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 If there's going to be a breakout, the boots are definitely involved. Yep. Another guard sitting at a console questions uh, where the other guards partner is. The man says that there was a tech problem on level one and the console operator remarks that that guard knows that delivery takes priority over tech and he can't just not show up. Well, the guard reassures the operator that he'll be here any second. That's another thing. Um, there's a labor shortage. And it's not the workforce. It's the Imperials. Mm-hmm. So to me, the boot thing and the fact that there are um, there are holes in their security network in this facility. With people trying to cover multiple spots. Right. That is go- those two. window right there. Yeah. 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 All right. The console operator uh, remarks to the guard, that's not good enough. The transfer that they are about to do was on the schedule and they're already behind as there are other deliveries waiting deliveries. I guess that's the nice way of people people coming in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Delivery again, uh, boiling them down to uh, the dehumanizing uh, of, of all of the, uh, of people. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Components for the machine. As I said earlier, shrewdly, Cassian has been paying attention, something that the guards actually take notice of, and they snap at him to keep his head and eyes to the front. Well, just then, the missing guard shows up. He apologizes for being late, explaining that uh, they've been shorthanded on the other floor. He says they had to pull another man out from the fourth level, uh, and he got there as soon as he could. Now, with everything in place, the door opens and Cassian is ushered forward onto a lift high above an open workshop. Down on the workshop floor, dozens of men, all on program, stand clustered around work tables with uh, power tools suspended over top of them. And then the lift descends and Cassian is ordered onto the work floor. Well, no sooner does Cassian hit the floor uh, than this burly voice barks out, This is Unit 52D, Level 5, Room 2, and D for Day Shift. The man continues that there are seven levels in the factory, each containing seven rooms, and each room has seven tables, while each table has seven uh men and uh again our buildings were also seven sided mm-hmm. this whole thing with sevens um I, I i'm gonna go i'm gonna touch on the seven thing I've, I've got a bunch of notes and sort of ideas on it um is it too early to go there now i don't think so do you want to have that now you know let's save it yeah, let's we'll save it save to the it end because it kind of it keeps coming back yeah, so let's just let it let's let it percolate for a little while but let me just let me just put put this out there for for people who are listening and watching the whole uh, idea of sevens what do you think about the significance of sevens and what does it mean here because it's an interesting conundrum when you contrast it against the thing that they're making because it's the only thing here that's not a factor of seven it's six (laughs) it's weird um although they are stacked up on those carts 
seven at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, something I didn't notice until my third watch through. <laughs> All right. The man dressed in the same, uh, sorry, the man is dressed in the same uh, white prison uniform as the others. Uh, he strides forward while the rest of the men remain on program. He introduces himself as Aquino Loy, and he says that he is the 5-2-D unit manager and the uh, 49 men in this room, which now also includes Cassian, all report to him. And of course, our man, Kino Loy, it is Andy freaking Circus. Um, I don't know if I really have to dig deep on this one for anybody. I mean, certainly we're all familiar with uh, all of his amazing uh, performance captured roles. Chances are you've seen something with him. That's in right. It. We've got uh, we've got Gollum from Lord of the Rings. We've got. Uh, Caesar from the most recent uh, Planet of the Apes uh, films, Ulysses Claw in the MCU, uh, Alfred in the new Batman. Um, He was also, this is a return to Star Wars for him. Um, He was the voice of Supreme Leader Snoke. Hmm. This one I didn't know. He played the voice of uh, of King Bohan in a video game called Heavenly Sword. Are you familiar with Heavenly Sword? I am. Heavenly Sword, which he also uh, directed all of the cinematics hmm. and wrote all of the cinematics for Heavenly Sword. I did not know that. Uh, other uh, directing credits for uh, Andy Serkis include the Netflix film Mowgli Legend of the Jungle, which is uh, a pretty interesting take on the Jungle Book, yep. as uh, well as Venom Let There Be Carnage. Um, on top of writing the cinematic sequences for Heavenly Sword, he also came up with the idea for the music video for Coldplay's Adventure of a Lifetime. Now, that's the video with all the CGI chimps. Yeah. And I love it. Um, but yeah, he wrote the story idea for that. Nice. So good on Andy to be uh, back in Star Wars. Yeah. In front of the camera, behind it, he's doing well. Yeah, he's everywhere. Well, the guard uh, leaves uh, the work floor and Kino orders the men off program and they all drop their hands and go back to work. He bids Cassian to walk with him while he explains further. Now, work shifts are uh, 12 hours long and productivity is encouraged. And evaluation is constant. You actually hear that a couple times throughout. Mm-hmm. Kino grabs a data pad and he asks Cassian, can you read? Which is interesting, the, the thought that there are people in the Star Wars universe that it's cannot read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Cassian affirms that, yes, he can, Kino shows him the pad uh, displaying the progress of all the tables in the room. He explains that Cassian has been assigned to uh, table number five. And table number five is behind because he's not there doing his job. Kino explains that the uh, running tally on the display is the score for all of the other rooms on this level. And uh, while Cassian plays against the other tables in the room, Kino plays against all of the other rooms. It is a competition-based system with both reward and punishment. But most importantly, Kino remarks that he is just 249 days away from his freedom and he has a free hand in how he runs this room he's become accustomed to being in the top three rooms of the level and he encourages cassian to make sure it stays that way if cassian is sick or injured he's to speak directly to kino and if cassian has a problem with another inmate kino says he will know it before cassian does Everything else, like morale and well-being, is to be kept with himself, and Kino finishes with, don't ever slow up my line. Um, 
he's an angry man. He is. <laughs> he is an angry man. 249 days. Uh, keep in so, mind, everybody's uh, sentence doubled uh, a month ago. Yes. So that was what, 120, say four and a half, 125 days? I don't think so, because he's already room manager, right? So how long has he been here to go up to room manager? That's true. And like, he's operating like he will be getting out in 249 days. But since everything's changed, he's going to be in for a rude awakening when somebody says you're not leaving. I do think that the 249 is the revised number. I think it is the doubled number. The double of whatever the, he had left. The, the PORD legislation. Yeah. That's already come into effect. There's, they talk about it later on. Yeah. Yulof uh, says we're, and we're paying, we're suffering because of it. Yeah. When they ask if he's heard about it. Um, cause Jembok says, you know, last month, everybody's number just doubled one day, yeah. randomly doubled. So presumably he knows as well. Yeah. Um, which is a real tragedy because at one point you see, you can see there's a, one of the displays says, uh, 74. So there's a guy who had like a month, you know, uh, two months left on his sentence. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, Oh, like you can see the light at the end of the tunnel and then no. Yeah. Uh, all right. Stepping over the table, Cassian identifies himself as uh, Keith. Keith Girga, uh, another lame name if I've ever heard one. Keith Girga. Every time I hear it, I keep, I think of uh, Grief Carga. Yeah. I mean, how do you not? <laughs> and a man named Jembok uh, welcomes him. Jembok uh, goes around the table and he introduces the other workers. We have uh, Zal, Taga, Yulaf, Ham, and Melshi. Now, they're worried about the productivity, and uh, Jembok asserts that uh, given they are a man short, they'll get a pass. And they add that it's been done before, but uh, Taga points out, well, that was months ago. While Melshi points out uh, that their table is behind by 10 units, and a pass for them at this point is a pipe dream. There's only 42 minutes left in the shift, and uh, Zal says to Cassian, hey, new guy, prepare to fry. In a display of basic human decency, Melshi corrects him with Keef. That's his name, Keef. With no time to talk, the men turn their focus back to the cog-like equipment that they're assembling, and they quicken their pace. Jembok instructs Cassian to watch him, as he'll be doing that job tomorrow, while Jembok will serve as what he calls the swingman. Despairingly, the men notice that Kino has been called to the comm unit on the wall, and an electronically altered voice announces that the shift productivity level is unacceptable. Kino shouts that for the next 39 minutes, so for the rest of the shift, uh, it will be a sprint, while the uh, electronic voice reminds everyone that uh, the least productive table will be disciplined. Well, the buzzer sounds, and the men spring into action as a fresh component is raised from underneath the table. The men scramble for smaller components as they fit pins and then rivet them into place. Kino shouts, get busy or get fried. All the while, Cassian watches, dumbfounded at the flurry of motion throughout the room. Uh, The electronic voice. (laughs) Did you watch the credits this week? I did, but I didn't. uh, The electronic voice has a credit. Really? It has a name. Kevin? No, it's not Kevin. Let (laughs) Let me just start by, did you see Tron Legacy? Uh, not started to back yet. No. Did you see it far enough where, um, um, Sam Flynn finally gets captured and they're, they're, they're disposing everybody where they're going to go. You're going to go to the game grid. Yeah. Um, 
um, what's he say? Uh, um, rectified. That voice, rectified. Does it not sound like the voice of the computer? Yeah, similar. Okay. Um, keep this in mind that we're going to talk metaphorically a little bit later about certain things. The voice is credited as the voice of God. <laughs> is that not like, uh, oh, the voice of God? I wonder how much it costs to get that. Um, I don't know. I don't really. So the, the bigger picture, the bigger thing here, the bigger issue is, I mean, it's the the implication of God and what God means in this situation. Yeah. Like, is it, is there an irony that it's a, you know, it's white, you know, like that whole, like symbology associating heaven with, you know, white fluffy clouds. And, yeah. But I mean, this is anything but heaven. No, this right. is efficient. This is fear driven. Yeah. The fear, voice of yeah. God. All right. That's going to come back a little bit later. And they're super disciplined, right? Like when he yells on program, like they all snap to formation. They absolutely do. I mean, that's another thing. We'll talk about that a little bit later too, about how the, the workforce works. Yeah. Um, let's talk about uh, our cast of characters here. We have uh, Jembok. That's uh, actor Brian Boville. He played uh, Leo Valentine in 139 episodes of uh, Hollyoaks. Our man Azal. That's uh, Joseph Davies. He played Private Stokes in the uh, 1917, uh, the war, the war picture. I saw that. Taga, that's uh, Tom Reed. He plays a uh, character uh, Ahmed Khan for uh, 22 episodes of uh, NYC 22 police drama. Hmm. And then uh, Ham. By the way, does Ham look like someone who's about to go to become unhinged? Maybe a little bit. Ham looks like a madman just waiting, like like he's going to be the one to give you the shiv. Yeah. Uh, that's Clemens Schick. Now, I, he was in Casino Royale. Hmm. Do you remember the character? Sorry, Krat. He was bald. Hmm. He was Lashif's right-hand man. Oh, jeez. Yeah, yeah. So uh, interesting. That's another Star Wars connection because Lashif was also in Star Wars. He was in Rogue One because that's uh, Jyn Erso's dad. Yeah. <laughs> so now we've got uh, Lashif's right-hand man. Uh, maybe he will be the Shiv. Maybe. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Um, Olaf. Olaf Kim pointed this out. Uh, it's uh, McTilberg from the Fifth Element. Nice. He's also the broker in Guardians of the Galaxy when Peter goes to sell the uh, the uh, power gem. Yeah, exactly the power stone. And of course, Melchi. That is Duncan Powell, and that is the same Sergeant Ruscott Melchi from Rogue One. So it's uh, safe to say that uh, Cassian and Melchi are probably getting out of here together. I don't know what that says for everybody else. But um, I, I don't have high hopes for Olaf. I don't either. He looked I, pretty rough. I think he's like Kino goes on to say, you know, the guards only come in to, you know, bring new people in or take people out. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I think he's going to get taken out. I hate to say it, but I think you're right. I mean, there's a there's a bit of desperation in his voice when he talks about how they're suffering. Yeah. Um. And, and like, again, he just, he's the oldest, he's the most frail. Yeah. He's getting up there and he's starting to show signs. Yeah. At least yeah, yeah. when you're watching them work, he's showing distress. You start wondering about sort of what did each man do? Yeah. I know that uh, Jembok asks Cassian and he kind of gives him the whole nothing. Yeah. And, and what does Jembok do? Oh, we're getting a lot about that lately. Yeah. People doing nothing. But uh, yeah, I mean, conceivably some of these guys, they don't actually, they make a point not to tell you. 
I mean, you could be, you could have had a parking ticket and I could be a murderer. Yeah. But we were both deemed labor worthy. Yep. Uh, interesting. Well, back on Coruscant, uh, Mon Mothma and Perrin uh, stand at the bar of their Senate residence. The bartender plucks a worm-like creature from a bowl and he drops it into Perrin's drink, uh, causing this weird chemical reaction. It's like a worm bath bomb. Well, the worm, yeah, it presumably dies because it stops moving. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it does. Um, Yeah, Mon Mothma declines the worm. uh, So Perrin says, oh, I'll take hers. And uh, Perrin says, well, you used to like it. But then uh, Mon says that uh, she was just better at pretending. And uh, Perrin says, well, I find that hard to believe. And uh, at that point, Mon, she offers him a toast. Sagrona. Now, there's no, there is no reference to the word, uh, no Star Wars reference anyway to Sagrona. However, there is a real world reference. And Sagrona is a type of Chianti. Uh, uh, now, Chiantis are wines that are produced uh, within uh, Tuscany in Italy, which in and of itself may not be a whole lot interesting. However, if we add in the way that Chandrillans in general, like Take Holma here and Perrin and Mon all dress, that high sense of fashion, are we inferring that maybe Chandrilla is like the Italy of Star Wars? Maybe. 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 Although the bartender um, will later refer to those worm creatures as uh, squigs, as will um, Lita as well. Now, squigs, according to the uh, 2003 RPG source book, uh, Star Wars Galactic Campaign Guide, was a species of fish native to Naboo, um, of which several Gungan families <laughs> were named after. Oh, no. Um, I don't think these are fish. Um to me, they are basically the 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 mezcal worm of uh, Star Wars. Maybe. I guess maybe, who knows? Worms. All right. Perrin asks her, uh, "What are we toasting?" And uh, Mon offers a quick night with an "I'll drink to that." Perrin clinks glasses with his wife and asks her, "What's on the agenda tonight?" Mon says that she needs votes to stall the Emperor's latest overreach, and just then. Takeholma approaches the bar, and uh, the three make small talk. Seeing the uh, tra- uh, traditional Chandrillan libation, Tay says he'll have one, and uh, Perrin orders a round of three. But Mon declines hers, and uh, Perrin jokes that uh, Mon is working tonight. And uh, Tay says, well, there's lots to be done. Now, Perrin, being more conversational than we've seen him before, says with a chuckle that it's not charity she's working on tonight, but rather... She's trying to save the empire from the emperor. Well, Tay remarks that the new legislation is definitely having an effect. And uh, Perrin, uh, oh my gosh, what did I say there? Wow. Uh, oh, yeah. Perrin says that uh, the rebels, they should have thought about that before they blew up Aldani. Remember at the in- at the outset, I said that there's a the purple some, monkey dishwasher perceptions and yep. maybe sort of the way people see things. Um, did anything at Aldani blow up? uh no 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 it did not so is this a case of the telephone game or did the empire blow it up and say the rebels did it well that's that's entirely within i mean i could totally see the empire we haven't seen it since so we haven't yeah we could go back and find that it's been like scorched earth right 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 
Um, specifically, I was saying here, uh, the newscast that we saw, the newscaster never made any no. uh, reference to damage. Just talked about people being uh, detained and being interrogated, but that's it. They never said that there was damage. Yeah. So who knows? Well, with uh, fresh drinks, the trio toast again. This time it's Sargonatima, another uh, Chandrillan toast, apparently. Perrin wishes the two good luck in feeding the galaxy, and then he steps off uh, to, as he puts it, feed himself, while Tay offers a joke. Uh, Charity begins at home, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, Perrin, wow. Um, he was really chatty this episode. I felt very uncomfortable with his manners in this episode i got a speculation for later but uh i, I similar to how tim reacted yeah and cassian yeah i think it might be the same thing here i wondered that as well and then i had a, a, a sort of a, a counter thought towards that later in the conversation they talk about mon becoming a senator at 16 and by that time they had already been married for a year mm-hmm. i mean I don't know about you, but I wasn't really interested in girls until about age 15, which really didn't leave a whole lot of room to get yourself into trouble, like by having like a serious girlfriend. So was Tay and and Mon an item at one time when they were kids? I kind of wondered that the last episode and I still do, but I am less inclined to think that they were now more just good friends. Yeah. More just childhood friends. Yeah. Okay. With Perrin removed from the conversation, Tay cuts right to it. He's got some bad news that uh, the new banking, uh, the uh, the new banking regulations are making it difficult for him, and uh, there are new imperial auditors being assigned to Chandrilla. And uh, depending on where those auditors are placed, things could get worse for him. Well, just then, Lita approaches awkwardly and remarks that uh, she's already been introduced to Tay. <laughs> We've met already. Uh, Mon tells her that uh, her father's been looking for her, and Lita makes a point of saying to Tay that uh, you're here all the time now. Um, Lita's picking up on it in a way that uh, suggests maybe there's some impropriety going on. Yeah, and if she's picking up on it. If your teenage daughter thinks you're messing around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that begs the question, is that going to be part of the sacrifice? Maybe Mon's sacrifice to the cause. Is she going to walk away from her family? Because let's, let's put it this way. If Lita, uh, confides in her father that she thinks that that's what's going on and the two of them get together and they call her on it. Are you messing around with Tay? What's her option? She can't tell him what she's doing. Does she? Yeah, exactly. She's no, no, I'm uh, forming a rebellion to uh, take on the empire or yes, I'm having an affair. She might use it as cover. Having an affair. Yeah. Well, doesn't that speak to her personal sacrifice then of Mm -hmm. like, I don't know about you, but I was quite surprised to, and maybe that's just the way that we've been presented star Wars, but like the idea that Mon Mothma had a family, had a husband and a daughter that was like, Whoa. Mm -hmm. it never really dawned on me until it was in my face watching it going oh wow she's a real there was a life yeah 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 yeah. which could make it all the more you know the 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 way that she speaks about how you know many buffins died to bring us this information like she has this like when we see her later on it's almost like a sorrow Mm -hmm. the way that she talks she says to luthan like i've got so much to lose yeah and she does she's not just talking about money or freedom yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, Lita points out, uh, Hey, you're drinking squigs and, uh, she calls it disgusting. And, uh, cheerily Teu says, well, that's the point. Lita looks at the two awkwardly uh, before she walks off. And after she does, Mon asks Tay about the money that she's already moved. She says that uh, not everything is tucked away. And Tay reassures her that they'll find a way to explain it. Doesn't say how, but they'll figure it out. We'll give it the old college try. Um, that could really backfire. Yo. <laughs> Mon questions, uh, are we just going to give up on hiding it now? And Tay says, well, how much are we worried about? His eyebrows raise when she says, well, it's 400,000. Uh, but before they can continue, they're up, they're uh, interrupted by uh, Senator Dow. Um, she says that she was just on her way to look for him. And Dow remarks how Perrin told him that she was hiding all the squigs, that awful drink with the mezcal worm. Um, Mon playfully retorts that, uh, oh, I forgot how, uh, how Shandrillan you were at heart. And uh, Dow fires back that he forgot how sweet she was when she's looking for votes. <laughs> Senator Dow, that's actor Hugh Sachs. Uh, fans of Bridgerton may recognize him uh, as Brimsley, for which he has appeared in uh, 14 episodes. Well, back on Narkina 5, Cassian, along with the other workers from uh, 52D, stand in a closed bridge uh, that has large windows running down both sides. The bridge is divided into two lanes separated by this waist-high divider. And uh, Cassian and the other men from his table, they look like shocked and disheveled as uh, they stand there while another line of men facing the opposite direction uh, await the shift change. Kino paces up and down the line, shouting for the men to keep it down. And about halfway, uh, he meets the incoming shift supervisor, and the two of them share a nod as they wave at each other. Craning his head around the man in front of him, Cassian spots Taga, who's gesturing out the window on their side of the tunnel in what looks to be some form of sign language. Looking outside the window, Cassian uh, looks across an open expanse, spotting another man in a different enclosed bridge who's signaling back. Shifting his gaze, Cassian sees that there are multiple bridges that span the gap from the outer perimeter to the central hub. Just then, a buzzer sounds and both lines begin to move. Interesting that they've developed their own sign language in the prison, prison news system without ever having been in direct contact with each other. Yeah. You know, well, they might've known each other on the outside. Possibly. That's like, entirely possible. You know, just I never thought of waiting that. to move. And you look out the window one day. Oh, I know him. You know, the guy that, uh, the other guy that got sentenced to Bel Savas, um, do we, did we see him again? I never made a point to look for him again. I didn't, think to look for him because the, the question is did that guy because he came from niamos did he end up in the same no i guess he wouldn't because there was only one man short he, well for that particular yeah, so room. they didn't they wouldn't have ended up in the same shift or certainly not in the same room anyway yeah. who knows interesting thought though all righty um back on coruscant mon mothma mingles uh with a group of senators which includes senator dow the conversation revolves around um uh around where senator oh my gosh sorry the conversation revolves around the emperor 
um, with Senator uh, Slorda calling him frustrating, too easily provoked, and overreactive. Another senator, Senator Tinar, remarks that's an understatement. And a third senator uh, remarks that, uh, well, he does say what he means, but Tinar is quick to point out that they are referring to legislation and not speeches. Um, this se- sequence was really frustrating trying to identify people because the the third guy, the guy who looks the most uh, lapdogish, you know, the one I'm talking about, mm-hmm. um, is uncredited. Oh, he's uncredited. And then the other ones are just like, they are so minor. I didn't even, uh, I didn't even put a slide in for them because I don't think we're going to see much of them again. Probably not. All right. But again, it speaks to the public perception of Palpatine. Of the right? Emperor. Yeah. That he's great at making speeches. Yeah. Yeah. But they have no clue what's really going on at the top. Well, at that point, Mon enters the conversation herself and she says, well, what does he mean? What is public order? Senator Dow adds that it is an awfully big box uh, while Senator uh, Vivine, Vivine, I'm not sure how to say that, the the lady, remarks that, uh, well, the emperor's primary charge is to protect us. The funny thing is the way that she says it, you know, she says to protect us. And there's enough vagueness there that you wonder, like, is she talking about the upper 1%? Yeah, is she talking about the the population of the empire or like the uh the Coruscanti elite? I would think that. You know, like the people in this room. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz you know they're not going to get ticketed for walking their dogs. No, probably not. And get 6 years in prison for it or yeah. 5 years in prison. Well, she adds that uh, the PORD legislation will do that. Uh, Mon questions how much protection is enough and uh, Vivin, Vivin, Vivin 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 remarks that uh, they all know what too little looks like. Hmm. Any idea what that means? I don't know. What too little. We all know what too little looks like. Unless they mean like the droid war. I don't know. The, or the, the, the entirety of the clone war. I, I don't know. Maybe. Um, is it a reference to, you know, the public perception that the Jedi tried to overthrow the government? Well, you know, that's how they spun it. Yeah, but the question is, you know, how many what really how happened. many people still have a working knowledge of the Jedi? Yeah. Have it's they being drummed out of them? Right, it's being erased from history essentially. Yeah. Well, Tinar remarks that uh, it's uh, surveillance and prosecution without limit and uh, the fourth our nameless senator questions, what is there to fear if you're not doing anything wrong? It's a typical answer. Mm-hmm. Mon plainly says that she fears his definition of wrong, while Vivin says, oh, these are dangerous times. And Tinar mockingly repeats it, dangerous times. Um, but the unnamed senator questions, are they not? And uh, Mon asks him if he feels like he's under a threat. Well, he breaks the tension by holding up his drink, and with a smile, he says yes, adding that uh, right here, right now, he's at great risk of ingesting too much of this nourishing chandril and hospitality, of which Mon just smiles at him. I just call him jerky jerk face. Yeah. I don't like him. He looks too smug. Yeah. Looks like he's going to loosen his tongue with a few more of those uh, libations. <laughs> That's right. With the uh, squib, uh, squib, squids, squibs. Squibs, squibs, quibs, squibs, the, the, yeah, the, me, the mezcal uh, worm. 
Um, as we cut to an empty hallway back on uh, Narkina five, it, uh, we see that it's the prisoners living quarters and uh, the doors slide open and Cassian and the entire shift all file in Cassian looks around trying to take it all in. And Zal, who's walking right behind him, uh, points to the lights, uh, the lighting on the floor. He says that uh, the white light means cold and red light means hot. And uh, if he should see the lights flashing, he has exactly seven seconds to get into his cell. He says there are sensors in the floor. So if two men occupy one cell, uh, it's what he calls an instant fry. So you, you cannot, you, you have to be in your out. own. You, yeah. you can't. No hanging out and chatting. You can't shack up with a friend. Well, the line comes to a halt and Kino orders the men to fall out. He then instructs Jembok to show Cassian to his own cell. Uh, it's a pretty Spartan uh, 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 living quarters in same stark white as the work floor and, and everything else in the facility for that matter. Um, but the room does have everything that he will need, most of which is fitted into these little slots on the back wall. There's a bed, a toilet, uh, water, plate, spoon, a nightlight, and what looks like a modern Phillips rotary shaver. Um, all attached to the back wall. Cassian asks about food, and uh, Jembok pulls one of the tubes from the uh, the back wall. He says, "You can have as much as you want," adding that uh, the Empire likes us healthy and fueled. Uh, food as fuel, isn't that something? Mm-hmm. He says, "Don't worry. In time, you'll learn to eat it." Doesn't even say you'll learn to like it. No, you'll, you'll learn to learn eat it. it. Ugh. Jembok remarks, well, that was a tough first day, noting that uh, Cassian was fried not once, but twice. That's one part we don't get to see, right? He gets fried at the... Uh, like we, He gets fried on entry, but then I'm assuming they get The table did the not... The yeah, yeah. They, they were the low table, so, so they got it again. And optimistically, Jembok smiles and says, who knows? Maybe in a few shifts, we can pull a winner. And uh, he says that winners actually get taste added to their food. And the top table gets flavor. <laughs> so like nutrient paste from a tube. And if you win, you get taste. If you're the top table, you get flavor. flavor. <laughs> uh, I wonder if it's the essence of flavor like Bender found in Futurama. Who knows? Who knows? Um, yeah. Maybe it's the, never mind. I don't even want to go there. <laughs> what do they do with the bodies? <laughs> soylent green yeah <laughs> well it's recycling you know it's true it making use true. of all that product product yeah yeah um conversely the last place gets fried mm-hmm. well as he goes to leave the cell he tells cassian uh this will need to be cleaned every day and uh, he points to a screen on the wall and he says that's your tab on the display, it reads 2,189, a figure that we have determined to be 2,189 days. Yeah. Um, which prompts Jembok to say, what did you do? Cassian shakes his head and he answers, nothing. And with his arms folded, Jembok nods as he says, oh, a lot of that lately. Well, by now, the other men from Cassian's table have taken an interest in him, and Melchi blurts out, uh, ask him already. Jembok says that uh, everyone's number doubled last month because of the P.O.R.D. legislation. 
they think that because Cassian is new, that he'll have news from the outside world about it. News that the men are pretty eager to hear. But Cassian apologizes. He says he doesn't know anything about it or the recent rebel activity. Now, incorrectly, Jembok points out that the rebels slaughtered an entire garrison and burned it down. So there's that telephone game again. Or false flag thing. Or that's the way it's been presented. Do you think that the Empire is giving them news? I don't believe that they are. I don't think they're giving them much of anything. You have nothing to barter with, so you couldn't even... You couldn't even have a scam with one of the guards. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, there is literally, I'll give you some of my, my food paste. Uh, No. We got flavor this week. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, yeah, I'm not even going to go there. Otherwise, the show's going to get really dark. <laughs> well, I, I'm, if it's like any other prison, at some point, you're going to have someone on the inside who still has connections to the outside. Maybe. And like, you know, go call this one. They'll give you. Maybe amount of credits. We don't know. Yeah. We really don't know if like the criminal uh, enterprise of the galaxy has a hand in the prison system. So I would, I would assume so with the amount of corruption going on within the empire itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just don't see what, at this level, what does a, what does an inmate have to offer a guard to, to get any kind of perk? You can always offer themselves. Yeah. Well, that's, I was going to say the show could get really dark really fast. (laughs) Yeah. We've already got, we've already dipped into it with what do they do with the bodies? (laughs) We could ask, we could ask the same question in different contexts. What do they do with the bodies? (laughs) Uh, We'll get them a pack of smokes. Right, 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 right. Or death sticks. That's true. Um, So Zal says it doesn't matter. uh, And Yulof shakes his head as he kind of goes on about, we're the ones getting punished. Well, Melshi gets up and he approaches Cassian with some advice. He says, never look at the number. Because no matter what it says, it doesn't matter because you're not leaving until the Empire doesn't want you anymore. Well, at the same time, Kino is now taking a notice of the gaggle that's formed around Cassian's cell. And he angrily storms down the hallway to break it up, slamming Melshi into the wall on the other side of the hallway. Kino looks him dead in the eye and says, that's enough. And then the buzzer sounds and the voice of God instructs everyone to return to their cells immediately, giving them 30 seconds until a red floor. Kino um, makes a a remark to Cassian about, uh, hope you don't sleepwalk. And uh, when Cassian asks him why, uh, Kino coldly says, "Uh, you'll find out. (laughs) And then uh, everyone goes into their cells and the floor lights switch to red. Now, I think Kino was very ticked here because um, Melshi's opinion yeah. directly contradicts what he's. Oh, he's that's so true. On, yeah. Right? I'm almost out of here. Don't I you go saying so shit left, like that. And you're yeah. going to tell me they're not letting me go till I'm done with me? No. Well, and again, this is sort of the, some of the. And I should have taken a better look, maybe, but you don't get a really good look at all of this, no. all the displays. No. But I mean, Cassian's is like the, the biggest one we've seen, 2000 some days. Yeah. What did some of these guys do? How long have they been around for? Yeah. Yeah. And like, are they just going to get longer with, uh, you know, the empire needing more whatever constructed? Well, listen, I don't want to, I don't want to change subjects too much, but uh, we had a new, we got some new Star Wars this week. Um, Besides this week's episode of Andor, we got all six episodes of Tales of the Jedi. 
Very good stuff. Which we will be covering, by the way. Just uh, it's going to come a little bit later once we get through all this. Um, if you've been watching Tales of the Jedi, then you are you are brutally aware of the fact that we've had two two major retcons uh, in that series. Um, mm. the, the death of Yaddle has been retconned, as well as the sixth Inquisitor. That one I'm not entirely happy about. However, I digress. Um, there's a good possibility that we got a third and possibly even a fourth retcon this week. The first one here, or sorry, the third one, the first one of our show, comes in the form of Cassian's display. I asked this week earlier on our social media, I put this, uh, I put this uh, image up and I said, there's something wrong with the display in Cassian's cell. And I asked, you know, do, do you know what it is? We didn't get any answers. <laughs> no, we did not. <laughs> well, um, Cassian was sentenced to six years in prison, which, you know what? That's a, a, a round, neat 2,190 days if you use our own earthly calendar of 365 uh, days a year, which means, which means uh, one day for processing and transport to get him here because he's just worked his first shift. It would be... 2001 yeah 2191 because there would be a leap year in there or possibly two maybe if you're going by if we're using our calendar yeah yeah but it is it's a very convenient number 2189 oh yeah i mean you just take it as rote yep that's six years it comes out to like 5.944444 but there's a there's a problem canonically a standard uh, galactic year in Star Wars is 368 days, Uh-oh. which means if we use the same uh, processing time of one day, then uh, Cassian's display should actually read 2,207 days. So um, if you want to know the reference for that, uh, the one-to-one, uh, sorry, the D'Agostini Millennium Falcon uh, Build-A-Kit this was kind of like uh, I don't know if you've seen the uh, there's a there's a Ghostbuster there's an Ecto uh, um, kit from uh, Eagle Moss. They did a Back to the Future uh, DeLorean time machine. So basically, they send you every month. They send you some kit parts and they send you a magazine. And the magazine serves not only as the instructions for how to build the that month's parts, but it also serves as a little window into. Uh, an aspect of the of the the, the universe and Diagostini, uh hundred issues by the way published each one being a different galaxy guide um number where is it here i put it in my notes 61 number 61 just happens to be uh, uh galactic time and dates uh where that's established and that's a 2014 reference that is after the disney takeover the disney takeover so that is a canon reference so the big question here is did Pablo Hidalgo and the story group make a mistake here? And this is in fact wrong, or is this a retcon? And we are now saying that a star Wars year is 365 days. Hmm. What do you think? Maybe. I don't think, I think it's a mistake. I, I probably can, but we could probably fix it. Like suppose that transport doesn't go into hyperspace and it yeah, takes, yeah. uh, what is it like 20 days to get from the to, to Narkino uh, five. Yeah. No, maybe. And then technically that would count for it. He'd mean he's in custody. I suppose so. I suppose so. But again, like with the hyperspace travel, you get there in 10 minutes. I just thought the 2189, that's one day short of six years. So to me, it's like, oh, they're telling me that it only took one day to get here. Or, you know, his incarceration started 
the um, moment he got processed. Right. So then the the other question, and that's not it's not really a big deal. It's like, does the display does the display change the next day, or does it change after the shift? Is it a shift display? What is it? Is it a day counter? Is it a shift counter? Because if it's a shift counter, then sure, it can clock down after every shift. Yeah. We'll have to pay attention to the next episode uh, to see if we see it again. Because we didn't get to see it later on in the episode when they say like it changes 30 shifts. Yeah, and it changes. It actually does. I think I've got a shot of that as well. Okay. Um, We'll get to it. All right. So that's that was the big one. That was one that bothered me for a while. I needed Mm. to talk about that one. Okay, back at the embassy party on Coruscant, Mon Mothma joins uh, Perrin in front of uh, the large window uh, of their apartment overlooking the Coruscant cityscape. Perrin is uh, entertaining a pair of guests, and he remarks to Mon that he was just talking about how many hours a day the two of them spend standing there uh, admiring the view. Mon remarks that it's not enough and how sometimes you forget to savor the familiar and she remarks that uh, she and Perrin came to Coruscant at a very young age. We learn that Mon Mothma became a senator at the age of 16. Uh, but by that time, she and Perrin had already been married for a year. Uh, they refer to it as an old Chandrillan custom, which I guess suggests that uh, possible, arranged marriage. possible arranged marriage. Yeah. Changing the subject, Mon asks Perrin if he's seen Tay. Perrin tells her that he left because he has an early morning the next day. And uh, with a bright smile, Mon excuses herself, saying that she'll have to spend more time at the window. But as she walks away, that smile fades and a look of concern comes over. Like she looks almost fearful. Now, is she afraid that something's happened to him or is going to happen to him? Maybe. Or is she afraid that, you know, there's 400 grand in the wind? That could be, you know, sniffed out at any moment. I looked at this like this is my moment for Perrin that maybe he's done something. That absolutely crossed my mind as well. Yeah. I've been thinking for sure, like he's a, he's an inside guy. Yeah. And if she's coming asking like, oh, you're asking about him again. If he's an inside guy, like for real, that might soften the blow if she has if to she leave has him. To sever that connection. Yeah. 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 But if it's not. Oh, hopefully she didn't do something to Tay. Yeah. I do think Tay's days are limited. Numbered. <laughs> yeah, they are. Well, on his first night on uh, Narkina 5, Cassian sits on the floor at uh, the edge of his, uh, of his cell um, with a look of despair on his face. The camera pans up to his display that still reads 2,189. Um, then the lights come on and the number shifts to 2,159. So 30 shifts have now passed and Cassian appears to be fully acclimated to his new factory life. Finishing his uh, morning meal, the floor lights shift from red back to white and all the men of Cassian's shift line up single file. They all enter a common shower where they're bathed in some form of cleansing steam or other chemical before entering another room where each man takes a new prison jumpsuit from a square cubby on the back wall. I've used communal showers before. Um, It's weird when you're, when it's institutionalized like that, it never, it's never not weird. Let me just put it that way. Well, it looked fun in starship troopers. That was different. 
<laughs> that was different. Yeah. 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 So 30 shifts later and 30 days have been removed from the counter. They have been. Yeah. So no 30. weekends off. Yeah. No. Um, now on the work floor, Cassian has been fully integrated uh, with the other men of table five. They flow seamlessly as they assemble this six pronged spoke like piece over and over and over again. Jembok tells the men that table three is off by two and they've only assembled 18 units and table four is also struggling. This could be a winning day for them as they fly through the next unit. Yulof struggles to fit one of the pins throwing off the rhythm of the entire table. He steps aside to let Zal help him. and Cassian takes a moment to lean against the table while the problem is fixed. Kino, who's been standing nearby, notices Cassian resting and comes over to the table, criticizing them. What are you just taking a break? And uh, reinforces that they actually have a real shot at winning the shift today, and it would be a shame to waste it. With a smug look on his face, Kino walks away while Cassian watches. Zal finally uh, fixes the pin problem, and the men finish the unit as we uh, cut again to the uh, outside of the hotel on uh, Rick's Road on Ferrix, where Imperial military personnel are uh, stacking some crates. Brasso, who we haven't seen since, what, episode one, uh, walks down the street dressed in his work clothes as he looks at what's going on around him. At Marva's, Bix has come to check in on her. Now, she's worried because Marva's breathing sounds pretty raspy and she's freezing cold. She tries to get Marva to tell her what's wrong. But Marva doesn't want to, thinking that she'd just be complaining. While draping a blanket over Marva, Bix says she's just trying to figure out if Marva needs to see a doctor or not. And B2 rolls over and asserts that Marva has a pain in her knee. And uh, Marva says to Bix, well, the doctor was there the day before, but she doesn't really offer any details uh, about that visit. So um, we don't know how bad it is. I suspect yeah big c maybe big c if that's uh if that's a thing in star wars big c by the way that's a a fancy way of saying cancer (laughs) excuse me but she's not well she's clearly not well and uh, bix remarks that marva got dizzy again well then the front door opens and in comes brasso he rushes to her side saying what have you done now marva cracks a joke that apparently she's throwing a party but uh, Brasso looks at her as uh, he retorts, I heard the boys had to carry you home. Marva says, oh, word travels fast. And uh, Bix says that she fell. Marva sips from the teacup that she has, unable to look uh, look at either of them. Well, outside, uh, outside of Marva's place, Brasso asks Bix, what was she doing by the hotel? Bix says that uh, Marva fell while she was trying to pry open an old floodgate. Not because she thought that she could flood the Imperials out, but because she wanted to know if the old tunnel under the hotel was still open so the Rebellion could use it to sneak in and take the Imperials by surprise. Bix smiles up at Brasso's saying, she's a rebel. And I love that. I actually, yeah. I, I really did like that. Rosso sighs as uh, he says that uh, he should be coming by to see her more often. And Bix says, well, she's not your mother. A fact that Brasso points out 
also applies to Bex, which is not yours either. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Brasso asserts that Marva just, she can't stay here much longer, but Bix is like, good luck with that. He then suggests that a service club, uh, and he names them, the Daughters of Ferrix, might be able to help, especially seeing as Marva is a past president. And uh, Bix tells him that uh, they've already tried, but Marva has made her wishes clear. Um, Daughters of Ferrix, I didn't find a reference on that. I presume it's probably like, you know, uh, Lions Club or something. 4-H or something, you know. Thinking out loud, Brasso utters Cassian. And uh, Bix asks Brasso, you really don't know where he is. And uh, he just shakes his head no. Well, then the camera shifts to a view from across the street. And uh, someone is observing them. And that someone just happens to be Vel. Uh, and Vel is sitting inside the door to an uh, to a cafe. Cinta enters the building and sits down next to her, asking, who's the big guy? Vel says she has no idea, and then asks Cinta where she's been, saying that uh, she was about to come and look for her. Cinta looks at Vel with a pensive frown and tells her that there's a room to rent just around the corner. Vel says, we can't just stay here, and Cinta counters with, I can. Vel says, alone? Sipping from her drink, Cinta tells her that the two of them together would just draw too much attention. Feeling uh, jilted, Vel blurts out, just stay here and wait. Just hope he shows up. She adds that Cassian could be anywhere, but Cinta locks eyes with her and asks, what's the alternative? Vel asks her, haven't we been apart long enough? And Cinta quite coldly tells her, it's not about us. Continuing, Vel asks her, after what we've been through, while lowering her voice, Cinta leans in and says, do you think the Empire stops to catch its breath? She's like, she's, she's like laser focused. She's eh? all in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cinta adds that, uh, and this line just gets it. This is a fight to the death, Vel. A fight to the death. Vel's eyes dart around as she thinks about what's next before asking Cinta, well, who would you say you are? And uh, Cinta stares back at her offering. Maybe I'm a rich girl running away from her family. Okay. I've been saying it for like, yeah. like episode after episode after episode that there is a familial connection between Vel and Luthen. Yep. And that is just one more. That's a that's a plus one Check. for that theory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially with her response. Yeah. Vel leans back in her seat, remarking, that's cold, even for you. And then Cinta reminds her that uh, she told Vel that the struggle will always come first. They can take what's left. So, yeah, she is all in. There is no room, or there is very little room for anything else. Mm-hmm. Cinta can see that Vel is obviously hurt, and she sighs as she drops her head. Well, then looking back up, she says, I'm a mirror, Vel. You love me because I show you what you need to see. Vel turns her attention back to Bix and Brasso across the street. Bix thanks him, and he says she'll check in more often. And at the same time, Cinta reaches across the table to hold Vel's hand, and together they watch as Bix leaves and Brasso goes back inside Marva's place. We cut to Pax's shop where Bix has just walked in. 
Well, seeing her, Pack steps in behind the counter, asking if Bix's shop has been as slow as his place. She says, yeah, adding that uh, losing the hotel has not been good for business. Pack says they need to call a meeting, presuming that there's something they can do about it. Um, I assume he means some kind of business association, like uh, like uh, Chamber of Commerce or something. Maybe. I don't think it's or, a. I don't think it's a rebel overture. The uh, contingent of people that uh, they assume worked with Cassian. All of which, the, uh, yeah. the cast, like the nurchies of everybody the, who was banging the pipes. Yeah, 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 yeah. He asks uh, Bix, "What's up?" And uh, she tells him she needs to look for something out back. Well, he shoots her a very worried look as he says, I'm not sure that's a good idea. It's been off for a while. While leaning in, Bix insists that it's urgent. And Pax sighs as he nods and says, all right. While wide-eyed, Bix rushes past Willimon on her way out to the yard, and both father and son look at each other and share a weary look. Climbing up the silo, Bix activates the pirate radio and frantically begins typing out a message on the rudimentary keyboard. Well, back in the gallery on Coruscant, Luthen puts out what appears to be some kind of fossil. Mm -hmm. Looks like a fossil anyway. He calls out for Clea, and when Clea doesn't respond, he walks into the back room where he finds her listening to the pirate radio. Clea tells him it's the shopkeeper from Ferrix, and she's looking for Cassian Endor because his mother is sick. Luthen looks her, uh, looks at her uh, with his mouth agape at the potential opportunity to find him. But Clea insists we can't answer her. Luthen points out that Bix knows more than they do, and she could be a strong lead. But Clea counters that it's more likely the ISB using the radio. Luthen snaps at her. You're guessing. And Clea snaps back, and you're slipping. Pulling the earpiece away from her head, Clea informs Luthen they're shutting down Ferrics. The code, the frequency, all of it. She insists that uh, she is thinking clearly, while Luthen is not. Holding the earpiece up to Luthen, she says, tell me to shut it down. But Luthen is hesitant uh, before he responds. He says, it's Andor, and nervously starts to pace as he remarks that he's out there. And uh, Luthen doesn't know what cassian knows or doesn't know and that worries him Mm -hmm. a loose end yeah exactly um which adds weight to the sequence of clea telling bell find him uh you mean kill him yeah now you kind of wonder does that does the hit come from luthan or does it come from clea luthan said we got to find him clea is like yeah you just got to find him and kill him yeah do we think luthan's as cold as is he the cold killer type I think so. I don't. I think she's added that. Maybe. But he's definitely got a coldness in him. Oh, absolutely he does. Um, Luthen recounts how he took Cassian on the ship, uh, the Fondor, uh, rhetorically asking, was I insane? Clea says that he was desperate for Aldani to work, and it did. She says they will find him, but not with the radio and not like this. Luthen points out that Vel and Cinta are out hunting. Uh, he asks, have they made it to Ferrix yet? Clea says, I'll have a listen. And uh, Luthen makes his way around the large table. He tells her that the contact, uh, the contact's name on Ferrix is Bix Kaleen. And uh, Vel could look in on her if it's safe, adding that they know what they're doing. Well, Luthen and Clea lock eyes for a minute, and he says, I'm not slipping. 
I've just been hiding for too long. Clea tells him it's all different now that they've uh, gone loud, as she puts it, Mm -hmm. and that vulnerability is inevitable. And taking in her words, Luthan nods to himself as he repeats, I'm not slipping. She tells him that she knows, but she also needs him to wake up because there is a lot to do. Well, without looking at her, Luthan tells Clea, shut it down. And she replaces the earpiece uh, in the box and she powers it off. And uh, when the electronic static quiets, the two just look at each other pensively. Um, Luthen's gallery, uh, which is essentially might as well be uh, Rancho Obi-Wan, because <laughs> every time you go there, something uh, there's new. something new. A couple things uh, this week. One, we did get a better look, not a better look. We got a different look at those uh, clawed gloves uh, from the week before. Um, I'm still not 100% sure, but the more I look at them, I kind of wonder, is this another part of the Starkiller Sith armor? Maybe. You know, uh, the gloves in the in the game, on the cover anyway, the box art, do not look as armored as these ones are. But at the same time, like, I still cannot find anything that, that really kind of leads to what they are. Mm. Um, and I'd say that they're not as big as I thought they were before. They're not as huge as I once thought they were. Also, um, the helmet in behind, you can see that? Mm. The uh, the Jedi Temple Guardian helmet. So it's he's moved it around. The other one, this one is interesting. Um, I completely missed this one until yesterday. Mm. Um, until I saw it online. I had to go looking for it. And I found it. Um, we get a, a, a piece of headdress that is remarkably similar to the one that uh, Padme wore in uh, episode two and attack of the clones when she and Anakin used uh, public transit, mm-hmm. public transportation to fly back to uh, Naboo. I don't necessarily think that this is the same piece, but same. It is absolutely sure. the same style. So, I mean, if you said this is some kind of like ancient Naboo, I'd buy you know, that. Yeah, I would buy that. I do not think that this came out of Padme's wardrobe. No. But you never know, like, because she was a famous senator, right? That is also true. People collect Elvis merch. Oh, that's so true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And being queen at one point, she would have multiple stuff. I want to go back to the fossils, though, because that was the the thing that caught me this week was that they made a point to, like, to, like, focus on the fossil, the centerpiece. There's actually three pieces, Mm. but the largest piece, the center one, they make a point to zoom in on it a bit as he's placing it onto the stand. What are these fossils? I do not know. Well, the first thing I thought of was like, uh, uh, like the arthropods, the fossils that we have on our own here on earth. Yeah. And if we use that as an analogy, then my mind immediately goes to the, the, the Kuhan, the Kuhan, the arthropod that Zam Wessel used to try to assassinate Padme back in episode two. I mean, the middle piece kind of looks skeletal, like there's some kind of skeleton there. Like, mm. But then I'm like, maybe that's a red herring. Maybe that's a red herring. And maybe this is a metaphor. Because we've already had a metaphor in Luthen's gallery with the two-faced divinity. Yeah. The two-faced divinity, um, originally we talked about it being sort of a metaphor for the rebellion and the empire. Yeah. But more aptly, uh, in that second meeting between Mon and Luthen, it's like, oh, no, no, the, the divinity, it's viewpoints. them. It's Mon and, and Luthen. With this, there are three pieces. 
there are three pieces. And uh, what's interesting to point out is that when you look up fossils in Star Wars, there's not a whole lot going on there. But there is an interesting reference, and that is uh, fossils. Uh, uh, there's there's a um, a reputation trophy in the video game The Old Republic, and it is called Ancient Animal Fossil. Hmm. Um, what's interesting about that is that you get that reputation trophy by completing a mission on the planet Onderon. Hmm. Well, guess who happens to be from Onderon? Uh-oh. Saw Gerrera is from Onderon. So if we put our sort of metaphor glasses on and we look at the, uh, the, the three pieces of fossils the same way we looked at the divinity, so is, this, is this a metaphor for it's now not just the two of them, it's now the three of them? Mm-hmm. Just my thoughts on it. Well, um, especially Maybe. knowing that this is the episode that, sh- that saw shows up. Mm. So, yeah, you know what? Somebody out there is watching this thing for, uh, you know, some dude at Lucasfilm was like, we weren't thinking that at all, but damn, that's good. <laughs> 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 all right. Anyway, that's just my, uh, my weird thoughts on the whole thing. It's a good thought. Okay. Um, guys, uh, listening, watching, what do you think? What do you think of the uh, one? What do you think of the two faced divinity as a metaphor? And what do you think of the fossils? Do you guys have any idea what these fossils are and what they represent? Let us know. Well, if that fossil does represent those, uh, death worms, the, ku- or, the Kuhans. Yes. Yeah. Uh, could it mean something like Mon Mothma's third tie that she wants to bring in? Right. Oh yeah. It could be bad for their health the the third well i mean and we assume that third is tay yes okay yes yes who knows i don't know yeah things will play out i don't know all right well back on ferrix bix uh still in the silo leans her head against the railing as she listens to uh pax uh, pirate radio when there's no response she punches the ladder and she looks up as she continues to frantically hammer away the message on that uh, little itty bitty keyboard. We then cut to uh, the interior of uh, the the speeder bus, as it were. Mm-hmm. Looks like the same one that Luthen yeah, the, was uh, on. Yeah, the transport bus. The speeder bus crosses a rocky the rocky landscape of uh, Ferrix, and uh, sitting near the back of the bus, uh, Vel, with a forlorn look on her face, stares out the window. Then the image of Cinta cross fades into the bus window with Vel staring out while Cinta is staring back at her. And then Vel fades out. And we see that Cinta is actually looking through the louvers of the apartment window that she's just rented. That uh, is about a block away from Marva's, but has a great view of the front door. Mm-hmm. Well, high over Coruscant, Luthen's Fondor Hallcraft speeds away from uh, Coruscant. On board, Luthen, still dressed in his public guise, sits at the uh, controls. A rudimentary display on the control yoke shows his current flight path. Flipping a few controls, Luthen orders the ship's droid mod to uh, coordinate alternatives for uh, Segra Milo. Segra Milo. Again, I I said it before, lots of new names creeping up this episode. No reference for Segra Milo. That's another new one. With the ship now on autopilot, Luthen releases the yoke uh, and he gets up while the droid uh, tells him there are th- there are four possible routes to the planet. Exiting the cockpit, Luthen instructs the droid to take the long way around and uh, the droid 
lays in a course. Back on Narkina 5, the men of 5-2-D sleep quietly in their cells, all except for one. A bald man, his name is Vimos, stands at the edge of his cell, and he's staring at the hallway floor as he breathes quite heavily. Well, at the sound of the electrified floor, the other men, along with Cassian, are, uh, pardon the pun, jolted from their sleep. <laughs> Surprisingly, the men seem to be more bothered that they're going to have to put up with the smell of the uh, fried dead body uh, than the fact that a man just took his own life. Vimo laying there, uh, lays there motionless while the floor lights flash red as all the men peer out from their cells. Cassian looks away, shaking his head, and it would seem that unlike the others, he hasn't lost all of his humanity. At least, not yet. Eventually, Kino shouts for the men to quiet down. At the same time, the voice of God announces that there has been a floor disruption, and they all have ten seconds to return to their beds. The men all step back from the edges of their cells, and the floor lights stop flashing and turn solid red again. No one comes to retrieve Vimo's body. So we can assume that he just sits there. He just left him there all night. night. Yeah. Oh. On Ferex, Bix rushes into the yard of her shop. She's alerted to the sound of the same metal-on-metal signal that was used when the corpos had come just days earlier. The clink, 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 clink. Yeah, exactly. Rushing through the streets, following the sound, she runs into Nurchi, who tells her that uh, something's going on at Pax. A short while later, uh, Bix arrives in front of Pax's shop, and she looks panicked as Imperials restrain Willemon. Willemon is distraught, demanding to know where they've taken his father. Bix spots Brasso in the crowd, and she asks him, what's going on? And he tells her that they've taken Pax to the hotel. They took him away the night before, and he never came home. From inside the shop, the newly minted prefect, Captain Tigo, steps out and orders the squad of stormtroopers to push the crowd back and set up a perimeter. Nervously, Bix turns her face away from the approaching troopers, and Brasso says, are you okay? She shakes her head and says, I don't know. As the troopers begin to push back the people, Tigo follows them up the stairs until he spots something in the crowd. Taking a data pad from his subordinate, he looks at it for a moment before he calls out, Bix Colleen. Staring at her, Tigo says, that is your name, isn't it? Adding, uh, if not, the resemblance is quite striking. Brasso whispers to Bix, get to Zorbies, run. And then he feigns kind of clumsiness as he puts himself between uh, the Imperials and Bix and just kind of does the, oh, sorry, sorry, as they try to get around him. Bex runs for all she's worth while several black uniformed army personnel and stormtroopers give chase. Making her way down a staircase onto a wider road, she gives it all, uh, all she has, and uh, periodically looking back over her shoulder while she runs. We cut to space where we get a really nice uh, pass by of uh, Luthen's Fondor Hallcraft as it approaches uh, Sacred Milo. Um, I had a lot of fun with this one because I just basically. Uh, cut it three times nice chopped the background out of it and laid the ship in like every time so we could see it from all the angles that they give us mm. it's a cool looking ship it still to me has some like 
uh Carillion kind of trappings to it. I know that it's that's not the case that it's uh from Fondor. By the way, you know what else comes from Fondor? Fondue. Well, <laughs> Hondo. <laughs> uh uh Executor. The super oh. the first superstar star come that was made at Fondor. There you go. Well, at least in Legends it was anyway. All right, yeah. So nice look at uh, Luthan's ship. We then cut to Benthic Two Tubes. Benthic Two Tubes standing over a standing guard over a rocky valley. Now he's still wearing the same outfit that he wore when he rode with Enfys Nest and the Cloud Riders. Just below him sit a pair of Incom T-65 X-Wing fighters, uh, while Luthen's Fondor Hallcraft rests a few meters away. On the far side of the valley, we can see some caves cut into the rock face, while several other personnel go about their work down below, including the Jagoran Moroff. All right, let's focus on this for a second. Uh, two tubes, Benthic two tubes, by the way, we've mentioned him before, appeared uh, both in um rogue one and uh, solo uh this is clearly the solo outfit that he is wearing mm-hmm. he is dressed a little bit differently in uh in rogue one but definitely benthic and cool uh more off uh you can see him he's way way, way down, down there yeah yeah we do get another look at him though from inside the cave uh over luthan's shoulder and it's like that is that's clearly more off yeah um yeah uh, by the way, uh, what was I saying before? Uh, Aiden Cook. Aiden Cook plays Benthic. He played Benthic in uh, both films. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And Moroff, Moroff is uncredited in this episode. We don't actually see him in the credits. However, he was played by Ian White in uh, Rogue One. And Ian White has already turned up in uh, Andor uh, as Vetch, the big turtle guy hmm. um, that uh, Nurchi brought along as yeah, a, as an enforcer. Yeah. Muscle. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, could be the same actor. I presumably, it, Might, it probably, probably is. Probably is. Um, uh, Ian White, he was our, uh, our, um, engineer from, um, uh, Prometheus. Hmm. Yeah. So if you want to know what he looks like, that's what he looks like. Okay. Um, <laughs> what I really think is kind of cool here and only like c- certain, uh, 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 do I, do I dare say nerds are going to pick up on this one? The X-Wing fighters. There's a pair of them there. There's two X-Wing fighters. I love the paint scheme, the white and the black. Now, I don't know if this was done intentionally or not, but they've uh, given them uh, basically a variation of the paint scheme used in the uh, X-Wing miniatures game to represent the scum and villainy faction. Nice. I mean, you've got uh, you've got a bunch of factions, but basically... Uh, you know, you've got uh, rebellion empire and then like all your scum and villainy. So all of your, like, like Han Solo is scum and villainy. Boba Fett is scum and villainy. Greedo. And- right. Saw Gerrera scum and villainy. So interesting that they've given it a similar paint scheme. That's actually a, a, a model from the X-Wing. That's a, the Z 95 headhunter. It's the precursor to the X-Wing. Nice. Um, which also appears on the uh, box art for the uh, scum and villainy conversion kit. So Yeah. I love that. I don't know if it's intentional. I want to believe it is. So that's what I'm going Probably with. Is. <laughs> Inside the cave, Luthen sits down to meet with rebel partisan Saw Gerrera, who, canonically speaking, we have not seen since the events of Jedi Fallen Order in 14 BBY. Well, we did see him in Bad Batch. Did we? Briefly, yeah. Oh, the Bad Batch would be, oh, it would be, be, would be sooner, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's 
post 66. What did he do? And uh, they, when, uh, oh, the bad batch, it's the first mission they get sent on. They get sent to oh, right. get rid of the insurgents. Well, I take that back. That's my bad. And he's like, no, nah, we're doing this. And right, they right, let right, them right. live. And then Crosshair comes in with his faction and destroy them all. Except what's know. interesting is that uh, he's played consistently, though, through all of the media that he's like this hard ass. While I mean, Luthen uh, basically calls him an anarchist. Mm. Um, and that's that's pretty much on the nose. Well, the two men make platitudes toward each other about which one of them was responsible for the Aldani garrison. What's interesting about the exchange here is how Saw rhetorically questions Luthen. Do you think I'd be out here in the cold if I just pinched a hundred million credits? There's another. So it's been burned. Everybody's been murdered. It's now a hundred million credits. Like how, how big does the story get? (laughs) Big enough to start a rebellion. Is, Is the story big enough to spark, to, to motivate, to inspire uh, other rebels? I think it might be. It's It's an interesting question. Yeah. Moving past the events of Aldani, Saw asks Luthen uh, if Luthen's tired of playing behind the scenes. And Luthen says, well, you know, Estes asks Saw, are you tired of fighting with people who agree with you? And then Saw says, did you go all this way to scold me or have you brought me some toys as he gestures to a bunch of equipment uh, in the cave? Nodding, Luthen says he did, but he adds that uh, it's not for free. And cynically, Saw remarks, well, nothing, nothing with you, Luthen, is ever free. But Luthen casually points out that not every operation is as well off in terms of gear as Saw's operation is. So, yes, he's an anarchist, but he's a well-equipped well. anarchist. Uh, at least two X-Wing fighters. Mm-hmm. That's a huge deal. Saw asks what Luthen has brought him, and Luthen says it's a full set of Imperial Drive adapters and three sealed steer guard targeting deflectors. Now, there's no reference for targeting deflector that I could find, but I I presume that that's some kind of countermeasure Something to do device. with shields, maybe. Um, what's cool, though, is there is a reference for drive adapters, specifically the repulsor lift drive adapter. That's a legends reference. It comes from the, the uh, star Wars source book. That's the 1987 role-playing supplement for uh, the star Wars role-playing game from West end games. Nice. It is a component specifically for a T 65 X wing that gives the ship repulsor lift capability. Hmm. So it can fly around like a hovercraft. Nice. So that's kind of interesting. And here's just a cutaway version, uh, cutaway view of the section of the X-Wing where you would find the repulsor lift drive. You'd think it'd be further back. Yeah, you would. Just to balance it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Saw asks uh, Luthen if he's brought everything uh, with him, all the items that he just listed. And when Luthen says that he has, Saw says, at what cost? And uh, Luthen makes a play for the network uh, that he and Mon Mothma have been building by name dropping another rebel cell led by someone named Anto Krieger, adding that uh, he would like for Saw to meet with Anto Krieger. Saw laughs at the name, but Luthen points out that uh, Anto has been probing the Imperial power station at Spellhouse 
It's another new name. And has found a weakness in their defenses. Um, that could almost be a legacy line in itself. What's that? Found a weakness in their defenses. A weakness in their defenses. Yeah, really. Uh, Spellhouse, it's a new a new name here. Um, it kind of has a German flair, as far as I can tell. Of course, yeah. house, house in German is, is German for house. So spells house, I don't know, whoever spell house is anyway, um, upset and now quite offended at the suggestion. Saw shouts that Krieger is an ox calls him slow and stupid, cutting him off. Luthen counters that he's also strong. Luthen suggests that, uh, uh, Anto Krieger would need air support to pull off whatever it is that he has planned for spell house. And he wants saw to hear the plan. But Saw isn't interested in taking that meeting, and he suggests that he and Luthen keep their business simple. He offers to buy the three deflector units, and he asks what is the price. Luthen, still trying to play his angle, says that if Saw were to meet with Krieger, they're free. But if he doesn't, they're not for sale. Stoically, Saw says, I work alone. Something Luthen would like to change. But Saw views working with other rebel cells as an unnecessary risk well then luthan gets angry and he raises his voice as he shouts we need to pull together saw regaining his composure luthan says that whatever their final version of success looks like no single rebel cell will be able to make it real on their own he adds that uh, they need the empire to be angry and to come down hard adding that oppression breeds rebellion um, he, uh, Saw is about to, I'm going to, let me just read this here and then I'll, I'll get back to it for a second. Luthen reiterates that Krieger needs air support and Saw dismisses him with, I'm not for hire. But Luthen leans forward and he presses him. Think about it. Think of Spellhouse in flames. And Luthen asserts that if both men were to work together, they could pull it off. But what comes next from Saw reminds us of exactly where he comes from as he points out that Krieger is a separatist. And it's important to note that he speaks in the present tense. It's not Krieger was a separatist. It's Krieger is a separatist. It's still a thing. Yeah. Um, talking a little bit about Sagarer, and I put a picture up here. Uh, uh, this is young Sagarer with his uh, sister, uh, St Stila, Stila Guerrero. Um, and it's important to know that they fought against the separatists during the uh, Onderon Civil War. Onderon tried to, to stay neutral in the Clone War, but they were invaded by the Confederacy and actually subjugated. Mm -hmm. So Saw ended up becoming the leader of this uh, rebel movement, uh, rebel movement on Onderon, which kind of contributes to his viewpoint uh, about Krieger being a separatist. Mm -hmm. Well, then Saw drops another name, uh, Maya Pei. And he calls him uh, a neo-Republican and then scoffs at the Gorman Front, the partisan alliance. Becoming unhinged, Saw goes off, deriding the whole thing. He shouts, sectorists, human cultists, galaxy partitionists, they're all lost. He really is an anarchist. Mm. Um, so now we've got, we've got Saw Guerrera out there, and now we have uh, Maya Pei and anto grieger so we have at least three cells yep. it's five five bby yeah. so the the ghost crew conceivably without ezra are out there as well yeah that's four interesting will we get a crossover 
will we get a little a little dip in do you think before maybe, the show is over maybe, maybe we are so minor. close we could get some kind of cohesion here before yeah you know here's things have to start moving forward like here's luthan you know float here for the next five years no no and here's luthan trying to bring everybody together and yeah. saw is just like i can't be bothered yeah um but it would be interesting to see if luthan has a success with somebody else mm-hmm. and gets them to work with somebody else i would love to see some of the rebels crew turn up here i don't think we will but hey one can hope staring intently uh, saw asks what are you luthan adding that uh, i've never really known and uh, luthan tells saw that uh, i'm a coward <laughs> he says he's a coward and uh, he's terrified that the empire's power will grow to the point where no one will be able to do anything to stop it he says that he's the one who says that we'll die with nothing if we don't put aside our petty differences. Saw laughs as he retorts, petty! And then grinning from ear to ear, he asserts that he is the only one with clarity of purpose. Luthen laughs out loud as he calls anarchy a seductive concept. Sounds very Jedi-like, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Jedi versus Sith. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the dark side really more powerful? No. Easier. More seductive. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, he calls it a luxury for someone that's been hiding in cold caves begging for spare parts. Now, if that is not a, a like a, a jab, you know, Saw clenches his jaw several times before he eventually cracks a smile and he laughs at Luthan. No sale today, Luthan. And he says, uh, good luck with Anto Krieger. I don't think we're done with Saw I do think we'll be back uh, before the end of the season. Um, In what capacity? I don't know. Maybe he and Anto will end up working together. Maybe they won't. Maybe his buddies are like, you know, that was a good deal. Just go meet with him and get the stuff. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe they're just as extreme as he is. Yeah. You know, blind obedience. Yeah, that's true. Well, back on Ferex Bix, now in binders, is led by a pair of soldiers with a stormtrooper escort. Um, They head back to the Imperial headquarters, now located at the hotel. Inside the hotel, Pack sits draped over a chair in the center of a room. In the corner of the room, a man dressed in a lab coat tends to some electronic equipment that just happens to be emitting the exact same sound as an IT-0 interrogator droid. It's not, uh, I don't think it's out of the question to assume that they have totally uh, tortured him. Oh, absolutely. Pack looks beaten as he sits there trying to recover his breath. At the same time, Dedra Miro paces across the room looking at her data pad. Well, the door opens and uh, Captain Tigo walks in, informs Dedra that uh, Bix is being brought up, and he asks if he should remove Pack from the room. Dedra says no, she wants Bix to see him. The way she goes about it is really weird. Like, like you could have told Tigo a little that you were the way that she was going to do it. Because even he is like, what? Because Bix uh, is brought in and Dedra immediately like looks at Tigo. What what are you doing? Get him out of here. And Tigo looks confused. Like, what? what, what?" Anyway, he quickly orders the uh, escort to uh, come with him and they drag uh, Pack away. Uh, Clearly, this is meant. Oh, yeah. uh, psychological warfare yeah i suppose letting bix see pack is uh, uh, a way to encourage some compliance 
<laughs> this is the length we're going to go to, so you better answer. Um, also, uh, Dr. Labcoat there does not leave the room. No. So it, it, you can in, infer what you want, but there's a good chance that whatever's in that box, it's uh, getting used again. Yeah. He's just over there sterilizing it right now. With Pack out of the room, Dedra offers uh, a very sinister, hello, Bix, as uh, she gestures to the empty chair at uh, the center of the room. A look of terror comes over Bix's face. Then the camera shifts to the view of the room from outside in the hallway while Dedra closes the door and Bix is forced into the chair. Um, Dr. Labcoat, we don't get a good look at him. Uh, he's credited as Dr. Gorst. Dr. Gorst. Um, and I wasn't even, I wasn't going to include him, but when I looked up the actor, like if this gentleman, uh, Joshua James does not scream mad scientist. When you look at him, then I don't know what does. Mm, it looks like he'd fit well at uh, Arkham. Yes, absolutely. I could see him being like a Jonathan crane type scarecrow. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, fans of the uh, HBO max series uh, raised by wolves. You may recognize uh, Joshua James as the uh, Android Jin. Now he's the Android that attempts to shut down mother hmm. uh, and is unsuccessful. He also plays uh, Tyler Brandon mills in uh, six episodes of uh, the Amazon original absentia. But yeah, Dr. Gorst. Hmm. Yeah. On Narkina five, the men of table five work seamlessly as the, uh, they assemble another one of the uh, unidentified six, uh, six pronged hub like structures. Kino Loy moves about the room, going from table to table, checking his data pad. Then the camera pulls back as entire, an entire rack of hubs is wheeled past until we are looking at a wider shot of the entire room and we cut to black. And that is the end of our episode. Um, man, what did you think? Uh, we're in a dark spot right here for everybody that we've met so far. Yeah. But, uh, I don't think it's going to stay dark for long. I think we're going to get our spark of hope next episode with Cassian tied up in prison. I, I don't see a prison break happening like right away. No, I, I think he needs some time to stew here. I mean, he's been in, he's for, got, he needs time to plan. He's been in for a month. So um, right now he's just learning the pat like guard patterns, uh, shift patterns, who you can yeah, trust, who you yeah, can't yeah. trust. I want to know if he's learned any of the language, the sign language. Maybe. Do you think he's picked up on any of that? He's a quick learner. Uh, for sure he is. For sure. Um, let's talk about this whole seven thing again. Like now that we've seen the whole thing, we, uh, you know, seven corners, seven rooms, seven men, seven tables, seven, deadly seven, sins. seven, seven, seven. Well, so there you go. Can we talk about sort of seven and the significance of the number seven, uh, culturally lucky for some, I got a few things I want to say, uh, in, and how I want to relate them to star Wars. These could just be like completely wild and like off base. But it's part of what we do here, and it's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, seven. How about the seven wonders of the world? Mm. They're clearly building something for. I mean, let's let's just let's just start with whatever it is that they are building has a purpose. Yeah. Some outlets have said maybe it's just nothing. Maybe they're just building something yeah. 
for the sake. I mean, the, to me, it's a couple of fidget spinners stuck together, right? Like it could just be nothing, but it's uh, not. No, it's, it's not. not. It, we're at the beginning of the Empire War Machine. Absolutely. In the high gear. They need it for something to build something. Remember when we did our prop episode? Yes. Remember the most, uh, what is it? The, what, what's the, the Star Trek prop? The most important thing in the, in the universe? Oh yeah. You know, is this the new version of that? Maybe. <laughs> like, like it'll never be identified, but. Changeable gear. <laughs> that's right. Um, let me start with the seven wonders of the world. And I'm talking the ancient seven wonders, all of which are amazing feats of either engineering or construction. So we're talking like the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, the Great Pyramids, the Great Wall of China, all massive engineering feats. In Star Wars, what's a massive engineering feat? Well, <laughs> we know it's they coming. They made it a couple times. We know it's coming. Yeah. Okay. If not that, part of the Imperial War Machine itself yeah. is a massive engineering feat. Yeah. But I mean, the Empire does tend to do things kind of big they do yeah and this is not a small part by any means so if this is just like a connecting gear for something bigger right i thought uh, at first it reminded me of like you ever been on a suspension bridge Hmm. and all those spokes i thought well that's where the cables connect at the ends of the spokes yeah but they're hinged so i don't i don't know i mean they have to have flexibility for something so who knows yeah um number seven Number seven has significance in almost every major religion in the world. Uh, on the seventh day, God rested. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about this one? Specifically within uh, the book of Revelation, the number of seven connotes concepts like completion and perfection, exoneration and healing, as well as the fulfillment of promises and oaths. And what did the emperor promise? A whole lot. Peace and prosperity in my empire. So, I mean, it's hard not to look at the the big thing. Like, are they making parts of the Death Star? I know some folks have said that, yeah, these are parts of the Death Star. What parts? I don't know. But contrary to that, when we pick up with Galen Erso in Rogue One, he hasn't started planning it yet, has he? Or is he just there to finish it? Man, off? I got to go back to uh, there's a there's a prequel novel. Uh, he's been on the project for a while now. Yeah, yeah. He was working on ways on um, putting energy through Kyber to magnify. He's basically working on a way to basically have a renewable energy source. You know, he's doing but a noble not necessarily thing. for the no, no, no. He was never working. He was basically uh, uh, told you're going to develop into a weapon. You're going to build the laser. You're going to turn it into a weapon. So yeah. that would be. Technically, these could be structural pieces. For sure, they could be. For sure, for sure. The station, you're going to need all your parts before you go up there. Well, going back to this number seven for a minute. Um, seven is the number that most people can remember and recall without prompting. It's why most phone numbers are seven digits. Hmm. Um, at least in North America, they are anyway. Yeah. And I think that that directly contributes to the efficiency of the workforce. The only thing I couldn't figure out, and I, I went back and I watched them, like, are they assembling these things in seven steps? Like, that would be like, because I'm like, well, the thing comes up, they put the pins in, then they put the wrenches on, then the laser welder thing, they spin. and then the spin and the drill. I'm like, is that seven steps? I don't know. 
or is there more that we're missing? There could be. Oh, got a comment. Oh, first comment coming in here from uh, Facebook tonight. This is a, a Facebook user because Facebook groups will uh, want to protect your privacy. So unless you give StreamYard permission to show us your name, we don't know who you are. But that's good. Uh, a prototype to something, I think. That's an interesting thought. Prototype. Hmm. Um, I, I, we, I don't think it's a prototype, though, because if you've got seven tables, seven rooms, seven levels. Well, wait a minute. Don't, don't go that far. Don't go. I will save that one because I've got I've got the I've got it. I do want to talk. I, about I like that. your your math there. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and that's going to reflect on why I think it is not Pro- a prototype. prototyping. Is it a prototype? Probably not. Just because of the sheer volume of yeah. what they're pumping out here. Like, I mean, we're assuming that all seven rooms are doing the exact right. they're, same they're, thing. Yeah. But. The math that I did does presume a couple of things, which we will blow apart at the end, but we have to get there first. Yeah. Um, and here's another one about the number seven in astrology, in astrology, the seventh sign in astrology is Libra hmm. balance Libra often associated with uh, the Roman goddess of justice, Astria. Hmm. Uh, the, the emperor's got some new justice going on. Yeah, his type so, of justice. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's <laughs> the thing. Double the sentences. The, 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 the part, the spindle, the, the, the double fidget spinner thingy, yeah. throws everything off because, like I said, even though the rack, that's a full rack, there are seven of them on the rack, this, there's only six spokes. Well, six Six is really, really significant um, when you're talking about math and geometry, because with six, by the way, this thing looks to me like it's undeniable, the Lego uh, analogy, by the way. Mm -hmm. And when you start thinking of six-sided figures and Lego, and we're definitely building something, well, what's something you can build with a six-sided figure? How about a geodesic dome? (laughs) Now, I know we've seen images of the Death Star in in various forms. We've seen it holographically. We've seen uh, some of the exposed uh, bits with the Death Star 2. We've also seen it at the end of Revenge of the Sith. We get the end where they're staring at at it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not impossible that the Death Star conceptually is a geodesic sphere. Um, Certainly, they didn't. I mean, obviously, this picture shows there's no way they built it that way. But that's not to say that they didn't build it in sections that way. Um, and really, I'm just going to be a total jerkwad. Um, we've already had some retconning this week, so why can't this be another one? Well, we already know they built it in pieces, right? Yeah. Because we did get to see that final completion when the laser... When they uh, laid in the, yeah. the focusing array. Yeah. Yeah, 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 they did. Um, it is undeniable, though, that whole Lego analogy. Okay. Mm. The, the question is, if it's not the Death Star, if it is not parts of the Death Star, which, by the way, is the most tragic thing it could be, because that just adds a whole other, like, oh, my God, yeah. Cassian is, is helping to build the thing that's going to take his life. What else could it be? So we looked at some other things. Andy, you thought that I the thought spoke looked like the central hub of the, the wing of a TIE fighter. Yeah. Um, it's got the six. Sure does. And my thinking was that, you know, you would need that bit of flex for flight maneuvers. I agree that atmospheric flight would absolutely need some flexibility. But then, you know, as we were, and it's too bad that Hank's not here because we had, I think we kind of got into a bit of an argument uh, in our, (laughs) in our private chat. 
it's like you know i build stuff for a living and i'm like yeah space wizards and laser swords do you know what i mean so like it's hard to it's hard to dial in and it put, is like, in you know when you want to this you want to argue the reality of something in a in a franchise that includes space wizards and laser swords the argument to somebody who's not a fan has to look ridiculous <laughs> it's like it's a gear who cares we care i i stuck with the geodesic dome thing and i mean you know the other big geodesic dome within star wars uh the shield generators on a star destroyer mm-hmm. going so far as maybe the uh uh this class of star destroyer it's called the interdictor um these aren't shield generators on it they are tractor beam emitters hmm. this class of ship would basically park on a major space lane and just pull and it would turn the, it would turn the tractor whoever you need to exactly over. turn on the tractor beam emitters and it will pull ships out of hyperspace hello we're coming aboard with let's see your show me your manifest that kind of thing and that's the thing too right like we have star destroyers we have tie fighters we have the death star we have so yeah, many yeah, yeah. variations i went looking for uh, moving things like okay a walker leg parts couldn't find anything that that fit neatly because it's too small yeah, it uh, to be a foot yeah, because we saw a foot crush the snow speeder right, right. right off. And they have uh, four toes, not six. Um, I don't know. I saw some outlets were talking about maybe this was the undercarriage of the Viper probe droid where the arms or the limbs connect to it. Hmm. I don't buy that. I don't think it's, I think it's too big for that. For honestly. I agree with you on that. I don't think it's that either. But good we can measure the size right like we know it's roughly the same height as a human making yeah yeah as a person so say it's like a five or six foot gear all right well whatever it is they are building an awful lot of them now this again this presumes some things which we will we will blow apart at the end but remember we have one table. Now, this goes back to that line from Jembok about uh, they're down and have only assembled 18 units. So that is the only hard, fast number we have is 18 units. So if we presume that each table is producing at least 18 units per shift, we can extrapolate uh, from that that uh, seven tables in a room, that's 126 units per room course we have seven rooms on a floor a factory floor that equates to 882 units we have seven floors per factory and that equates to 6174 units per factory per shift we have seven factories that makes 42 or 43218 units per shift and as you say we have two shifts Per day. Now, if all seven factories are making this spoke thing, they are churning out somewhere in the neighborhood of 86,436 units per day. For that reason, I do not believe that it is a prototype. No, not at that. Sean on YouTube says uh, something secret for the emperor. Um, Again, secret how it the volume just it does not lend itself to secret it to me it, it's going to be a common piece and andy maybe the the tie fighter wing hub i mean eighty six thousand. that's a uh, forty three thousand tie fighters yeah you know i mean the the imperial navy was pretty freaking huge but did we factor in when he started building on exegol 
No. Because the secret thing could be there. You're making all these parts, and if they're compartmentalizing it, like, okay, this guy's building a gear. He doesn't know what it's for. This guy's over here building this. He doesn't know what it's for. It'll get shipped to there. That is interesting. The Sith fleet? Maybe. The Sith fleet that has apparently been sitting there waiting for decades? Yeah. Well. Because it had to get built somehow. They could be. I want to go back again to the whole suspension bridge thing and posit that maybe these are structural components. Mm. And they do need to flex for things like atmospheric flight. Um, it becomes less of an issue once you're in space and zero gravity. But like a suspension bridge, it needs to be able to flex. And that's why they have these uh, hinged mm. fingers, as it were. Yeah. Anyway, there is an awful lot of uh, whatever it is that's going on there. 86,436. <laughs> And we can times that by 30, right? Because we've been through 30 shifts. Dear Lord. Okay, now let's blow that all out of the water. Because let's blow it out. First day they're making those. Maybe, yeah. Shift 30, they're still making those components. Oh, that's true for 30 shifts. Because they're not going to retool the whole thing without shutting it down. That is true. The counterpoint to that is we don't know how long they've been making them for. And we don't know yes. that we don't know that all seven factories are in fact making those. Yeah. Maybe the other maybe six factories are making. Some, well, yes. Yeah. Maybe the other floors are making something different. Maybe, maybe the other factories are making something different. Maybe the bottom floor is doing something with like the molten steel, which would require all that water to come funneling maybe, down. Maybe. I, you know what? Earlier in the week, I kind of shied away from it, but we're here now. I had suggested that. Perhaps there is more to the idea that whatever they are building is being reintroduced back into the factory complex itself. Maybe. That the seven factory complexes, which mostly are underwater, so we don't see them. The reason that they're underwater is that the factories themselves are larger components of the Death Star that will be raised out of the water at a later time. So they're literally building more factories. They're built. Well, here's the thing. Could be. Here's the thing. Star Wars is famous for telling us that the Imperial design aesthetic is modular and prefab. Prefab. That's the reason why a Star Destroyer shows up, drops a garrison. There's a whole building with troops. Yeah. You know, the garrison on one world is the same as anywhere else. Um. Not a far stretch to think that the factories could, in fact, be like the interior. We and you know, Star Wars famous for long, long tubular, yeah, uh, you know, like the um, um, <laughs> planks and gangways, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my god, I just had a thought right now while we're talking about this for a second. I have to look this up, <laughs> um, because that would just be biggest. But, oh my god, you know what the best part about these is though. What's that? All those platforms that they walk across to and from the shift yep. are sealed. So there's no chance of falling off. Handrails save lives, people. <laughs> oh, I don't think it works. Uh-oh. I don't think it works. Um, the Death Star Mega Laser, how many beams converge into one? One, two, three. Four, Looks five, to be eight, six, seven, eight. Okay, so that doesn't work. I was like, oh my God, the factories are part of those smaller lasers. Okay, that doesn't make sense. All right. 
I'll let that go now. Hydroelectric lasers. <laughs> Hydroelectric laser power. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, that has been uh, a fandom power look at uh, Andor episode. Um, um, oh, my God. Eight? eight? Episode eight. Narcani five. Too many numbers getting tossed around this episode. <laughs> um, where do you think we're headed next? Uh, I think we're going to catch up with Bix first and find out how she makes out. Yeah. And possibly more with Marva. But uh, I think we've got some, we got more time to spend with uh, Cyril Karn. Yeah. Cyril Karn still seems to be sort of a, a dangling kind of thing. Um, Cassian is in the freaking prison system 30 days and they yeah. haven't figured it out that he's there. Yeah, they don't That's, care at this point. They're just taking people off the street to build. That is true. That so is true. you can work, get in there, go. I'm stuck between, you know, there's going to be a prison break versus an escape dedra is going to intervene somehow and he will escape custody her custody with the help of someone like vel who's trying to kill him but won't yeah who knows but they didn't find the book yet no manifesto is manifesto that so another big one like what are we gonna do with that oh okay uh, only a few days before uh, those questions will be answered as uh, and or episode nine uh, comes out here this Wednesday. So that's going to be uh, November, November. What's the date? It's no, uh, oh, second cow, November 2nd. We're just a few days away. As always, we will be back with our uh, in-depth review uh, the following Sunday. Like I said, guys, we will never be first, but we will always be thorough. And we just want to say, Thanks for hanging out with us for the last, I don't know, almost two and a half hours. I mean, if you're catching this on the replay, I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, do, do uh, throw a sub our direction because even if you don't want to subscribe, I would love for you to subscribe to our channel. Even if you don't do that, just throw a little thumbs up on the video, chuck a little emoji. Even if you don't want to leave a comment, throw an emoji in the comments because all of those things help to uh, boost the algorithm so our videos will get seen um if you're listening to us on uh, your audio platform of choice thank you thank you so much please stay with us we've got lots more coming like i said we've got tales of the jedi coming and then uh before you know it the bad batch will be back we've got uh, a skeleton crew coming um as well as all the other side projects andy you've got a side project coming out it's coming out when uh soon hopefully within the next couple of weeks sneak peek we got something coming out uh in the next couple of weeks horror related horror yes. themed okay so horror fans stay tuned for that because andy's got uh an awesome uh video that uh i know that he will want you to see and uh it will be back uh before you know it so for random power guys my name is wes i'm andy we'll see you on the next one bye for now guys <laughs>